Section. It's sports here, there, and everywhere with Dick Girardi and Mike Kern live from the Parks Casino Sportsbook. And watching the, the Celtics, I, I think this, the Stop issue it. for the Sixers is the same issue they've always had. The Celtics can score on anybody. Now, the Hawks' defense is terrible, but the Celtics just were scoring at will. Does anyone see the Sixers stopping them from scoring? From I the don't. perimeter? No. From anywhere. Not from the perimeter down low, maybe, but you don't know about Joel Embiid? I don't know right. how that's, this that's is going to stop answer. any of those guys. Is Robert, Robert fact, Williams is healthy now? He is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's a problem, too. Yeah. Um, well, and, the problem I see is they have three starting guards who are amazing, and then they have a card off the bench who would be a starting point guard yeah, anywhere else. else. If you're listening to this, your weekend is already a winner. It's sports here, there, and everywhere with Dick Girardi and Mike Kerr. Live from the Parks Casino Sportsbook. Your home for Villanova basketball is WDAS and WD273D. Fox Sports Radio, Philadelphia. We want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. Time to get ready for the day's action. From the sides to the totals and everything in between. Nobody does it better than the tough cover with Mark Henry, right here on The Gambler. Look in my eyes, what do you see? The cult of personality. I know your anger, I know your dreams. I've been everything you want to be. Oh, I'm the cult of personality. Tough Cover Radio Show right here on Fox Sports PHL, the gambler on iHeartRadio. I am your host, as always, Mark Henry Jr. You can follow me at Mark Henry Jr. underscore on Twitter. You can follow the gambler 
at FoxPHLGambler on Twitter to get involved with the conversation on social media. As always, on the ones and twos, we got Jeremy Horwath at jhorwath11 on Twitter. And for the NBA playoffs for the third, what is it, third, fourth straight week now, we've got Sean Barnard in studio. And you can go follow Sean at Sean underscore Barnard one. I always have to check where the underscore is. I do the same. People do the same thing with mine because it's at the end. But Sean underscore Barnard one. You can go and check out his stuff over at Philadelphia SN. But go and give him a follow at Sean underscore Barnard one. Some of the best content on Sixers Twitter. Sean. We got two more days here until the Sixers and the Celtics start off. And I've got a lot to say on this series. I'm sure you've got a lot to say on this series. But we've got a whole other, you know, three. Well, I guess we've got two confirmed matchups. We've got a Game 7 to talk about. We've got Lakers playing whoever wins that Game 7. But we also have the NFL Draft. The NFL Draft, everyone knows it's my Super Bowl. I love talking about the NFL Draft. The last two days did, you know, 10 hours of streaming over at Edge of Philly Sports. We're going to get to that probably a little a bit a little bit more towards the second hour. And then me and Jeremy as always, we're talking about the Fightins. We're talking about the Phils. They're back. They're hot. We'll give out our MLB picks as well, some player props sprinkled in there. But we're going to get started talking about some round ball. We're going to talk about some basketball as we see John Morant sulk off the court over on our TV screen in studio. And I guess that's where we'll start. Um, let's let's talk about last night. The Lakers played the Grizzlies game six. Lakers were only a four and a half point favorite. A lot of people I saw on Twitter loving the Grizzlies to cover that and to force it to game seven. I saw a lot of sharps saying, oh, don't bet the Grizzlies in game six. Bet them plus 350 to come back and win the series. And I, I ignored it and bet Lakers minus four and a half. I was confident that LeBron would come out and, and end the series. But that's exactly what happened. LeBron and AD and D'Angelo came out and they punched Memphis in the mouth. So, Sean, my question to you after watching last night and after watching that Grizzly series, how serious of a contender are the Lakers to win the West? Yeah, they definitely are. They definitely are legitimate contenders. Uh, it was quite the performance last night. From start to finish, they just dominated that game, did it on both ends of the floor. Anthony Davis, when he's locked in and playing at his best, I mean, as he's been all series, 26 blocks, a 4.3 per game. That's ridiculous stuff. So his defense has been what's impressed me the most. And I also think this is like the first run for the Lakers that they're like the likable team. You know what I mean? Like, they nobody liked this Grizzlies team. There's been all the chatter, the off-the-court stuff, the you know, them talking to the media and everything that goes along with that then we look look ahead the lakers are most likely playing i guess if the kings win they will for sure be the likable team in that matchup but if it's warriors lakers that's i think the lakers are still the more likable team out of that and then you switch over to the conference finals and there's some critiques with both the suns and nuggets so this is a rare occasion where the lakers are typically a team with a target on their back they're almost like the 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 likable team coming out of the west so i think that's interesting and uh shout out to rob palenka for managing to completely flip that roster midseason give this team a chance and everything looks like it's clicking at the right time my conspiracy is that the nba created dylan brooks in a lab um <laughs> to be a villain and to be a heel and they they did it all with the intention of having him play lebron james in a playoff series and getting even the lebron haters my dad who's been hating on lebron james for over 20 years now pardon my take uh, they they've been hating on lebron james for their entire existence as a you know huge sports podcast even my dad, even part of my take, even Skip Bayless. 
are rooting for LeBron yeah. to shove it down Dylan Brooks' throat. I, I think that there's something to be said about that, that, you know, we've all kind of turned on LeBron a little bit. Even you, I know you're not a yeah. LeBron guy, and you had to say, you tweeted it out last night, there's something satisfying about seeing the Grizzlies go down like this, especially after what Dylan Brooks was talking about LeBron throughout this series. It, it is really, really funny to see LeBron in the babyface role for his, uh, however temporary as that is. You said that they're the more likable team against Golden State. I think people love Steph. So True. there's some Draymond, you know, mm -hmm. Draymond's unlikable and I get all that and the Warriors have won a lot, but people love Steph. So I think at this point, like that series will just come down to if you're a Steph guy or if you're a LeBron guy and that's probably who you'll root for um, to cement their legacy. I guess they built that four, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Steph's got four. Yeah, I always forget because it's it, it's been three iterations. So, you know, he he won the two. It's impressive. Or he won the one, and then he won the two that aren't as impressive because they had two of the three best players in the world on the team, and then they won the the most impressive one, which was last year, obviously. So uh, four titles there, three different iterations. So I always have to always have to judge. It's kind of like the Spurs. Like you're like, wait, how many rings did they get? Because they had it with Robinson, and then they had it in the middle of the two thousands, and then they had it. You know, when they came back and beat the Heat the second year. So I always forget that. But that'll be, that's the dream series. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is the dream series. We'll get to that. But Grizzlies, what do you do? Just quick, quick little, you know, off season picture for the Grizzlies. Do you look into making a big move? Do you run it back because you're a young team? I, I don't know what the next step is for Memphis. Yeah, I think a lot of it's going to have to be uh, evaluations within the locker room on which of these guys are actually ready to step in the spotlight and be grown-ups basically on the basketball court and which guys aren't. I think Dylan Brooks is in a role bigger than he should be in, and uh, that's a huge root for their issue. And like you mentioned there, I found find myself on that exact same page of not being a LeBron guy, never really been a, a guy backing him, but I absolutely enjoyed him giving Dylan Dylan Brooks the work in this series and my issue with Dylan Brooks specifically is I love that he became the heel I think it was great for basketball I think it was a great storyline I hated that he ran from it at the end him mm -hmm. not doing the media interviews like go stand on it go be that guy continue to be the obnoxious guy through and through that's what's made me grow to respect Patrick Beverly 100% if he had done that straight through I would have respected Dylan Brooks to this day and been almost rooting for him in that matchup but that wasn't how I felt because of the way he ran from it, because of how things went, and uh, that was disappointing to me. So I think some way or another, they need to improve at that position at the two guard. John Morant also is a, a hard player to build around. As talented Absolutely. as he is, like his limitations, they show up. The fact that he is not a great shooter, how he's so reliant on athleticism. So there's going to be a lot of mixing and matching. Personally, I love Jaron Jackson, so he's got to be a, a key part of the fixture, but they got a lot of evaluation to do. There were those rumors that they offered three firsts for OG and three firsts for Mikhail Bridges at the deadline, and both teams wanted one more. It's looking like you should have went one more for Mikhail specifically. If, yeah. if this team could have gotten Mikhail without giving anything up, really, like in terms of keeping your three core guys in Ja, Triple J, and Bane, and then you add Mikhail to that, you're talking about a finals team, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. You're talking about a team that can win the finals. Uh, so that's something they should have done. I think that they felt like, oh, are we ready to take that step? Are we ready to make that move where we immediately put us in championship or bust you know, situation? Because that's a, that's a lot of pressure once you're in that situation. So I think Taylor Jenkins is a great coach. Uh, I thought he got outcoached in this series too a little bit though. So that gave me some, some hope. I have Lakers plus 1,700 from a couple weeks ago. Um, and I the, right now regardless of odds, they'd be my pick to win the West. So, well, let's just, because we can't preview their series, let, we'll get to Sixers Celtics in just a second. We can't preview that series because we don't know what it is, but 
if it's Lakers Warriors, if it's Lakers Kings, are you picking the Lakers either way, or are you, or you know, are you going with Golden State if they win, or the Lakers if Sacramento wins? Yeah, I'm leaning Lakers to be honest with you. The I was a little scared by how Golden State looked in last night's game. Mm -hmm. They just did not show up. This Kings team, who I love the Kings, I've been a Kings believer. I thought it ended last night. I thought the the Warriors were going to come out. And make so a did statement. Vegas. Yeah, so did Vegas. A huge seven and a half point line there. So uh, I was surprised to see them looking flat. They looked old. They looked over it at that point, and that's just not how you should be in the first round of the playoffs in game six at home so i have some legitimate concerns with golden state and as great as sacramento is like that we're seeing the the limitations to that team malik monk's been awesome darren fox has been awesome but sabonis has has not been whatsoever he struggled to find his stride there's some limits to that so i think i do lean that the lakers are probably the favorite regardless in that one and i'm very curious what happens on the other side of the the western bracket yeah that's definitely going to be interesting and we're going to get the sun's nuggets i have a lot of thoughts on it and i and i uh, we'll get to that. I, I have a lot of thoughts on that because I've I've kind of changed my mind on that. So let's talk about the obvious series everyone wants to talk about, and it's Sixers Celtics. Let's mm -hmm. talk a little bit about the Holy War. Um, this feels like the biggest series of my life. Um, yeah. I I honestly feel that way. I think this is way bigger than any of the other second round matchups we've had because this is the best team we've had in the Joel Embiid era. I don't count any of the Iguodala era as being important whatsoever because those teams were irrelevant to me. Um, I, the Iverson team, they were never going to beat the Lakers. So I don't even... That 0-1 thing, people love to talk about the 0-1 Sixers. I kind of roll my eyes a little bit at it. I love Allen Iverson. I grew up on Allen Iverson. The East was so bad in, in that era of basketball. You go back and look, the top five teams were all in the West. The The Nets went to the two straight finals. The Pacers, with a washed-up Reggie Miller as their best player, went to a finals. The Sixers, uh, you know, you look at the teams they beat, they weren't very good. So this really feels like the most important series of my life not just because we have the best team we've ever had but also because this is a you know a turning point of yeah. the franchise what happens with james harden is joel Embiid going to request out soon is this one of the last times we ever have a chance with joel loves tweeting about jimmy butler and i know all the sixers fans that love jimmy love to say like oh this is awesome you love to see jimmy say this my reaction to that and i think all sixers fans reaction to that should be nothing but pure horror at that that those two guys and that Jimmy Butler happens to play in a really really in a place that a lot of people would like to live in a place that I'm sure Joel Embiid would like to live so I didn't love that I, and I never loved that so I'm always a little bit nervous because that seems like an obvious location and they could just give us Bam and a bunch of players that we wouldn't want for Joel and we'll talk to, we'll talk about Bam later but um, I, I I'm always terrified of that so uh, Joel Embiid we don't know anything about what happens for the next five to ten years of his career we don't know if this is a i have always kind of argued like i think i hate when people act like oh you don't well, he's probably done when he's 31 or like we don't know no one mm -hmm. knows he could actually have a longer career than we think he could have more longevity he could have a longer runway than we think but there's a chance he doesn't and there's also a chance like i said that he's rec he requests a trade you just don't know how many of these you get with him right and if you if you lose this Harden leaves next year. You don't have an avenue to replace Harden next year. If you're letting Harden walk and you're keeping Joel, it's probably a bit of a step back here. Unless Maxi takes a huge leap, unless you're able to make some things happen uh, creatively with Tobias Harris's money and you move some things around, but it'd be hard. And Daryl Morey would have a heck of a task on him to try to become a contender next year if Harden leaves. Mm -hmm. So next year might not be the same as this year at all in terms of the way we have a chance to compete for the title so and the other reason and the last reason that i'll say before i i turn it over to you look at the rest of the bracket right. look at the rest of 
the league. These are the two best teams in the NBA. Right. Now, the problem is that Joel Embiid has a sprained knee. And he's questionable for game one. Spike Eskin said that he has it on pretty good authority that he thinks Embiid's going to sit in game one and that they're going to try to steal game one without him playing so that if he if they win, they can rest him for game two. I absolutely despise that. I hate that plan. I hate, especially if it's like trying to be cautious and he's actually cleared to play, but we're going to try to do this. And I'm a little nervous that Vegas has this as an eight point underdog right now already in, yeah. in that game. And that kind of leans that way. I think, uh, does that mean we're an 11 point dog if Joel's out? Like, I think they might think Joel's out. So if Joel's sitting the first game, I think we have no chance in this series because I, I don't think we're winning a game without Joel in this series. So to me, it all comes down to Joel. We'll get down to the other matchups, but what are your thoughts on what's going on with Joel right now? Yeah, that's the hardest part. Is if if this is a fully healthy Joel Embiid ready to go into the series, I'm saying it with my chest that the Sixers win this series, but we just don't know that that is the case and it's looking further and further from being likely that that is the case. And I, part of it is I think the Sixers are being intentionally mysterious with it and part of it is I think they genuinely don't know the status of him I know he's another doctor's appointment I believe it's Sunday that they're gonna get him reevaluated and checked out then I don't know how much of that will go public that they'll tell people but yeah it's not looking great and I've been of the mindset that he probably plays game one it's just what level he plays at but the other part of it is when we look at him playing through injuries in the past like last year when he had the torn ligament in his thumb the broken face these are injuries that can't get worse the knee is not that way he could very easily mm -hmm. make this a worse situation and that's something that they have to weigh and monitor throughout but I agree I don't think the Sixers can win a, a series without Joel Embiid or win a game without Joel Embiid even against the Celtics team and I don't think this Boston team is this monster that they're made out to be. This team has flaws. And also, as much as that there is brought up about the Doc Rivers, I think the Sixers actually have a coaching advantage in that series against Joe Mazzulla, who has made some head-scratching decisions already in these playoffs. And I know Celtics fans have already kind of turned on him, so I've been surprised by that. And there's other areas. I mean, we just watched Trey Young pick the Celtics apart in his pick-and-roll manipulation. If there's another guy in the NBA that should be capable of doing that, that's James Harden. Now, granted... He's going to have to take some steps forward in that. He can't be a guy that shoots 28% inside the three-point line like he did against the Nets. That absolutely can't happen. If he's looking passive and his floater or around-the-rim game is not a threat, this all disappears, the effectiveness in the pick-and-roll. The Sixers also don't have a, a true lob threat in the way that Clint Capella was, which stretched this uh, Celtics defense. So it's not an exact eye-for-eye -eye comparison, but that's still the pressure on James Harden, and that's why we brought him to Philadelphia, so he can be that guy to manipulate defenses, find that balance, and he should be able to take advantage in this Celtics series so I wish it was a fully healthy Embiid I agree I think there's a lot at stake if they do lose this series I don't want to say it's full blow up but I think it's pretty likely Harden walks these rumors continue to fly out that there's not a clear replacement from them and they're in a tough spot and who knows how heavy Joel's patience is so there's a lot at stake in this matchup the path is absolutely laid for them to cruise to the NBA finals if that they can find a way to get through this but they got to gut it out and find a way to get it done yeah, it's find a way. Finish the story, right, Jeremy, over there? No, we probably shouldn't use that. Cody Rhodes <laughs> didn't finish the story. Uh, but find a way to to win, and you win the NBA championship. Mm -hmm. That's kind of been me and my buddies, me, me and my friends. That's kind of been our, our rallying cry for the last eight days since we swept the Nets. It's just been find I don't know, but find a way. 
and you're going to win the championship. That's honestly how I feel. There's no no other team that scares me nearly as much as Boston does. And I agree with you, though. Boston is not this KD Warriors that they've been made out to be all right. year long. I've been telling that to Trill Bro Doodle. Every time I go on a stream, he tells me, like, oh, well, the Sixers have a 10% chance to beat Boston in a playoff series. And that was pre-Joel injury. And I was like, dude, it's at least 50-50. And I would pick the Sixers. So... It all is about Joel's knee. And I know sports here, there, and everywhere, they're really concerned about the backcourts and how that could really swing the series either way. And he just doesn't, we don't think we have a chance. We have the two best guards in the series. I don't care what anyone thinks about that. In my opinion, we have the two best guards in the series overall. Even factoring in defense, I'll take James Harden and Tyrese Maxey over any of their three. I get they have three. Guess what? We have DeAnthony Melton. He's not a slouch. Like, DeAnthony Melton is not that much worse defensively than any of those three guys either. Maybe yeah. on ball, but a little bit. I, I think my biggest concern in the stylistic matchups is just guarding Tatum and Brown. That's yeah, where exactly that's, that's where the the everything points in Boston's favor, and that's where Anthony Melton absolutely needs to step up. Mm-hmm. PJ Tucker is going to have to step up. So that's where the Jalen McDaniels, Jalen McDaniels, for sure, is going to play a big role in this series. And also, I, I, and go ahead. You know who shouldn't play a big role in this series? George Niang. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah, that's where my biggest concern is. It's not necessarily with the guards. The Celtics do have size across the board, which the Sixers don't really like. They're going to have the size advantage at just about every position outside of Joel, assuming that he is on the floor. So there's definitely points of concern, but I agree. I don't think this Celtics team is impenetrable by any means. Yeah, I, I'm not worried about the guards on defense shutting Maxi or Harden down. I think it's hard to shut both of them down. I think maybe they'll do a good job on one. Uh, Marcus Smart is the best defender of the three of them, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't th- I think. I think Brogdon and White are being a bit oversold defensively. Maybe I'm, maybe that's coming off of me watching Trey and maybe I'm just saying, oh, well, that's pot, but Trey might just be special. Um, but I do think they did an absolutely terrible job on, on Trey Young, especially like game two through six in that series. You take out game one and Trey's numbers are unbelievable in that series. So I agree with you. The only thing I'm worried about that makes it the worst matchup possible in the NBA is the fact that we just don't have those answers for Jason Tatum and for Jalen Brown. But I think the X factor is Jalen McDaniels. I want Jalen McDaniels playing 25 plus minutes a game in this series. And he has to cut out some of the stupid fouls. He has to come out, cut out some of the bonehead plays that he makes. Um, I really, really hope that he plays a lot in the series. And I think defensively, He'll play a bigger role, and we've seen him just be so much more playable than Matisse Thybul was, and yeah. I think that trade is specifically made for Boston or Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. We don't have to worry about Milwaukee now, but specifically for Boston, specifically for the Jimmy Butler, specifically for the you know the Julius Randles, even though he's a bit more of a four, but you, I think he could probably guard a Randle if it came to a series like that. Um, I, I think that McDaniels is a really, really key piece coming off the Sixers bench in this series, but I'm not worried about the guard play. I'm worried about guarding Tatum and Brown, but if we have Joel Embiid, they have to be worried about guarding Joel Embiid. Mm-hmm. And my other point there is this is a different Joel Embiid than it has been in years past that the Celtics have given him issues. Like I, There's been times where a one-on-one Al Horford matchup has has struggled for Joel. He's had trouble with it. Give me that every single time this year if that's the opportunity. He's been far better at processing the game, reading defenses, all the more advanced tactics of the game. That's where he's at, at in his career trajectory in this point of his career. So he's ready for the moment. He... I, as long as he's healthy. And that's, again, the holding back thing and stuff that we don't fully know and probably will not fully know up until tip-off. 
like I said, if he was fully healthy, I really would be sitting up here saying with my chest that the Sixers win that series, and I'm disappointed that I, I'm not, I can't be in that position to do it. Yeah, I mean, in my opinion, it's Celtics in six if we're getting a hobble, Joel, and it's Sixers in six or seven if Joel's fully healthy, and this is mind games. And I think we're going to be able to tell pretty much right away, too. When we see Joel on that court, I mean, if he misses the first game, then that's a pretty clear indication. But the first time we see him on the floor through those first couple minutes, if he's moving like Joel Embiid, if he's buzzing up and down the court... This is a series, and the Sixers have a chance. If he's kind of humbling around and dragging that leg, it's over right then. So I do think we're going to be able to to tell pretty clearly on uh, what level he's at and if he's capable. And uh, yeah, I I hope for the the best op- option out of that. <laughs> it's also pretty funny that after the series, Tobias Harris had neither of us just said his name in a ten minute breakdown <laughs> of this series. But most I think, efficient player in the half court across the NBA in the playoffs, he was. But I think neither of us think that he's going to be good <laughs> in this series. Like that's the funny thing about Tobias. Like we just expect nothing. So if Tobias is good. Maybe that is that extra icing on the cake that we need to get past Boston. Uh, maybe he is a, a more streamlined player for this offense than he ever was before. Maybe he's in a better role than he'd ever been before in the playoffs. So he's another X factor that I'm not really believing in. So I actually think Jalen McDaniel is the more important player in the series than Tobias in a way because Tobias, we need to do something. Jalen McDaniels almost feels like gravy. So mm-hmm. um, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But we're going to take a break. You're listening to the Tough Cover Radio Show right here on Fox PHL, The Gambler. We got Sean Barnard in studio. We're going to talk about the other uh, the other couple confirmed playoff series we have. We have Nick's Hate. I don't know why I said it like that. We've got Knicks Heat and we've got Suns Nuggets. So we're going to pick those series and we're going to talk it up before we get over to the NFL draft. So on the other side, keep it locked to the Tough Cover Radio Show. Fox Sports Radio, The Gambler. Now, total traffic for Philadelphia. We're jammed up in Center City on the Vine Expressway westbound as you're making. If you can wager on it, we're talking about it. It's The Gambler. It makes it easier. Welcome back to the Tough Cover Radio Show. One of the all-time GOAT songs uh, right there as as an intro. One of my all-time favorites, Otis, there. Uh, Watch the Throne, all-time great album. Not allowed to talk about Kanye West, though. So let's move on and let's talk about things we're allowed to talk about. Let's talk about the NBA and let's, let's go out west. Let's talk about the west first because... We have a game tonight in the National Basketball Association. At 8.30, we have the Phoenix Suns and the Denver Nuggets. And we are starting it off in Denver for game one. I've got a lean on the game. I don't feel all that confident in the first game. But I'm starting to feel more and more confident in the series. And at the beginning of this process, at the beginning of the playoffs i was bought in saying i think that the suns were on a completely different level than the rest of the teams in the west besides maybe the lakers if lebron and ad were to stay healthy and everything were to play out correctly which it seems to have so far 
But then when Kawhi won game one, and then a couple of the games they had trouble with against the Clippers, against just Russell Westbrook, I started doubting myself, and I started thinking, maybe this Phoenix team can't even beat Denver. Like, is Denver going to get a, a kind of an easier path than I expected to the championship? And then looking at the numbers today and looking at Denver be favored in the series and looking at Denver be favored in the game, in game one here, I'm starting to think, have we lost sight of the fact that the Suns won that series in five games? A little bit, I think. This Suns team, when they're clicking, is probably the best team in the NBA. It just doesn't happen for every single minute of every game. They're Mm -hmm. still figuring out exactly how to play with each other, and they're incredibly top-heavy with their Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, DeAndre Ayton, and Chris Paul as the the big four that they build around. The The rotational players beyond that are not as notable and guys that there's some legitimate concerns about. And Monty Williams also dug way deeper in the bench than I expected in that opening series. He was going 11 deep in, in a lot of games, 10 deep, which that team just not does not have no. the depth or talent to to make that the case. So I need to see that adjustment for, from him. Some of that may have just been him still feeling out this roster and figuring out because they obviously handled the Clippers fairly easily with those injuries and everything else that went into it. But yeah, I, I do lean toward the Suns in the series, and I, I think they're going to come out, especially today. I think there's a chance that these guys just run out of gas by the end of the playoffs. But right now, I still think they got plenty in the tank, and I feel good about them against the Nuggets. Yeah, I like them today, plus three and a half. I got them at. I think it's at three now. I still like that number. I think Phoenix wins that game one, um, and I think they win the series. I, I'm starting to think Suns in five. Like I'm wow. starting to feel really confident that the Suns are going to win this series, and I think depth, maybe maybe five or six, but I think depth probably does cost them at least a game because they just won't have the legs to, to win a game, or maybe in Denver, in altitude, maybe game two, or maybe game five. If they, I don't know, who knows what, what the case were to be, but um, it'll be interesting to see how this series plays out because I think this is a terrible matchup for Denver. Yeah. I, I think you don't have an answer for Kevin Durant. Aaron Gordon is not your answer for Kevin Durant. He's your best option, but there's going to be times where Michael Porter is on Kevin Durant defensively, and that's a nightmare if you're Denver. And there's going to be times where who's covering Devin Booker? Like, mm-hmm. I have no idea. KCP? I, I don't know who your best option to cover Devin Booker is. It's probably KCP. Mm. That's not good. Like, that's not a good option for Denver. So I think Devin Booker, this is your series. If you want to be, I, I'm a little annoyed with Devin Booker. I don't love, I'm not a Devin Booker guy, I okay. think. And he's really, really good. It has nothing to do with him on the, on the court. It's more about like the way he's talked about sometimes is like people like throw around like top five to seven player, like, oh, he should have came in fifth for MVP this year. Like, I think that's crazy. Like, I think some of the stuff with Booker, it, he gets a little overrated because he's such a hooper. Mm-hmm. Um, he's such an aesthetically pleasing player to watch. Um, he's got a lot of Kobe in his game, kind of. Sure, like, for sure. I, I think there's a lot of that that people love about Booker. I don't think he's, I think he's like top 15, like top 12, more than top five to seven. Um, so that's where I'm a little different with Booker. But if you want to be that guy, this is your series to be that guy. They don't have an answer for you, Devin Booker. So, even though I'm a little disrespectful towards Booker at times, I'm picking the Suns because of my confidence that Devin Booker can pick the Nuggets apart. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I'm not the biggest Devin Booker guy either, but outside of Jimmy Butler, he's been the best player in these NBA playoffs, averaging over yeah. 35 points per game. He battled some hamstring injuries this year, so I, I wasn't on the team get MVP, especially with uh, the other guys in there. Like, he wasn't carrying a, a roster. Oh, I, I just meant he was mentioned for fifth. Like, people yeah, were yeah, mentioned. Yeah. I saw, I think he might have even had a vote or two for, for fifth place on the mm-hmm. ballot. So, and, uh, yeah. And people get too fired up about this, like calling him a top 12 talent. Absolutely should not be an insult. No, that's like, no. that's still impressive. So many good players. Right, right. So, yeah, Devin Booker has been impressive. I've been 
incredibly impressed by him this postseason, especially I thought Kevin Durant deferred to him a decent bit in that mm-hmm. round one, which is something to watch as these two find that balance. And we'll, we'll see how it shakes out. These are two of the premier shot makers across the entire world. And uh, you, there's just no answers for how you shut down both. And by the way, it doesn't surprise me at all that KD deferred to him. KD is deferential uh, as a player. Like for years, we blamed Russell Westbrook for oh, KD should be shooting more. And then he went to Golden State and he didn't shoot more. And he went to Brooklyn and he shot a little more like not that much more though like he won't shoot the 25 attempts that you want him to per game in a series like he just isn't wired that way he takes good shots and he's kind of refused to he refuses to take bad shots at times for better or worse because i think it's for worse because in my opinion if i had kevin durant i'd want him shooting 45 times like yeah he's the greatest scorer i've ever watched in my life and i think that's being lost a little bit too even though he may he might not drop 45 he if it comes down to the fourth quarter in a close game You've got Kevin freaking Durant on your team. He's the greatest scorer of all time. Like He is just such a weapon and a weapon that more than other teams, I think Denver has way less of an answer for. Um, so I, I think when it comes down to it, I get it. You've got Jokic. Uh, you got, he's, a, he's a great player, and I don't think the Suns have much of an answer for him. But in terms of one-on-one defense, you have to worry much, much more about Kevin Durant and Devin Booker than you do about Nikola Jokic. Yeah, for sure. And uh, defensively is where we've talked about this all season with Jokic, but they're going to attack him off the pick and roll. Yep. They're going to get him in switches. Especially Booker. Especially Booker, yeah. And Kevin Durant even. I th- and, and Chris Paul even. I think these guys are going to be circling that, going for the pick and roll and, and attacking Jokic. And there's been all the Denver backers talking about how he can survive defensively. I just don't think that's the case against these high-level uh, creators, scorers, finishers, guys that can just make things happen. So I do believe in uh, that's going to be the, the issue. I also really like the over in this opening game. It was at mm. 226. I think that's too low for both these teams. The uh, the Suns were the second-highest scoring team in the opening round, only behind the Miami Heat, which is pretty funny. And then the Nuggets, they saw their total down a little bit. But you combine the two teams' averages for the the opening round, that's 12 points above where the, the over wow. is sudden. So I like that there, and I think uh, the the defense of Jokic is going to be a storyline to watch throughout this series for sure. You know, I added to my card. Three of the last four for both teams went over. I like mm. that. I like that over the altitude. Both teams will be a little, a little sluggish to start the series, maybe not playing as hard of defense as they will later on. I like that. Over 226.5, I'm taking it. Um, so I'll add that to my card. I really... I'm getting more and more confident as I'm sitting here talking about the Suns. I wonder if there's even props out there. I'm not as much of a prop guy as a lot of other people. I would be betting betting Booker over on points, betting him over on the series maybe. Like in some if you could bet him as the highest scorer in each game, I'm sure there are bets like that. Mm-hmm. I should know that type of stuff. But I really don't do basketball player props a lot. Um I try to keep it with the normal traditional bets with basketball cuz I do pretty well at it generally, not this playoffs, but uh generally. And let speaking of that, let's get to uh, but your son's in how many games? I'll go 6. I think a nice uh, uh it's going to be a series. I don't think this Nuggets team is going to roll over, and they have a lot to prove as well. Like I think in in a lot of ways, they're a little bit of the Sixers of the Western Conference, that this is their core, their chips are kind of in the middle. They have a little bit more flexibility than the yeah. Sixers, but they got to back it up come postseason time. Jamal Murray has kind of been their moneymaker through these opening games, and he's got to continue that. The His creation from the perimeter, he was terrific in round one, so a lot's on his shoulders, but I do think ultimately his son's in six. Yeah, I, I I think the Suns are going to get it done. But speaking of things that I've been wrong on, uh, <laughs> both of the Heat and the Knicks are in the second round, and one of the Miami Heat, who had a negative point differential this year uh, and are the eight seed, or 
the number five seeded New York Knicks, uh, who had a over under over or under forty one wins this season, um, are one of them are going to be in the conference finals, and that's a big time punch to the gut, knowing that we haven't made one since two thousand one, and God forbid a bracket just break our way, but. The Knicks and the Heat are playing in this round, and in my opinion, the winner of this will get absolutely trounced by whoever they face, uh, the winner of the Boston and Philadelphia series. But I got to be honest, I've got absolutely no idea what's going to happen in this series. I'm sick of predicting what's going to happen with Jimmy Butler. Whenever I buy in on Jimmy Butler like I did in the play-in game against the Hawks, he shows up and does nothing, and I come out and make fun of him. And then he makes me look like an idiot by playing the best basketball of his life over this stretch of time. The one thing that makes me nervous and why I I lean towards New York, I lean the Knicks just a little, like Knicks in seven. But Mm -hmm. the thing that makes me nervous is that I think Jimmy Butler might just have something on the Bucks. Like he's just had such success against Milwaukee. Besides the series, he got outscored by Bryn Forbes. But he's had so much success against Milwaukee and every other series he's played against them. There might just be something matchup-wise that Jimmy's able to exploit there that I don't know if they have that New York. New York does have a much better defense than Milwaukee did. Um, So that's the concern. And the other concern would be that Miami was bottom five in rebounding Mm -hmm. um, in a lot of metrics this season. And the Knicks, like Josh Hart told Mitchell Robinson, Mitchell Robinson, you get rebounds, but Josh Hart gets rebounds that break teams. I can see a lot of that. And it'll be really, really interesting to see if you know, the Miami Heat, we've always been conditioned while watching P.J. Tucker and the other guys get those annoying rebounds that break teams. It'd be funny to see if Josh Hart doing that for the Knicks was one of the differences in the series, but I think it could be. Um, and I'm going with the Knicks kind of regardless of the Julius Randle thing. Uh, I don't know how much I even think he's that important to this team in this series. So uh, I like New York. It's going to fall a lot on Jalen Brunson, but I'm done doubting Jalen Brunson as well. I, I think Jalen Brunson's one of the 25 best players in the NBA. Yeah, he's a star. There's no doubt about it. And my entire basketball brain is pointing me toward the Knicks in this one. Uh, I think they're going to totally dominate rebounds. They absolutely did against the Cavs, who should be a much better rebounding team with Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. I mean, Mitchell Robinson looked like Wilt Chamberlain compared yeah. to these guys. He was dominating, and that just should not happen if you're the Cavs. We were both wrong in that. We thought they were gonna, the Cavs were going to impose themselves on that side of the board. The Knicks have been a good rebounding team all season, but the Cavs, they're built for that. They're a big team. That's their intention. That's how they're constructed, and they were not able to get it done against the Knicks. So I was surprised by that. Uh, and then on the other side of things, what's holding me back is there's nights where Jimmy Butler is just good enough to win a game, and we saw that for four straight games in the Milwaukee series. Uh, I, I just can't bring myself to go against him, and I'm so impressed. I also did want to bring up the the comments by Giannis after and the. Oh uh, yeah, I, I I kind of forgot about this. Yeah, let's talk about it because I have thoughts on it too. All right, well, hit me with your your thoughts too because I do have strong feelings on this. Because I love Giannis. Um, I'm a Giannis defender. I I think he's a really good guy. I think he's a good person. I think he's like everything the NBA should want in a superstar and a role model. But. You failed, bro. Like yeah. the Milwaukee Bucks, there's not much more that you can say other than the fact that this was an outright failure when you're the one seed and you lose to the eight seed in five games. It's a failure. And his answer where he did the, oh, did MJ fail the other nine times he didn't win a championship? Or, oh, did, uh, you know, are there 29 failures in the NBA every year? That's no. The Sacramento Kings are not a failure if they lose to the Warriors tonight. They're, every situation's different. You have mm-hmm. to be able to add context and you have to be able to understand context. I don't really have a problem with Giannis saying it, but I, I mean, we should all be pointing out, like, it, it, 
the thing I'll say, I because I don't want to kill him. I don't want to kill Giannis more than I just want to talk about whether he's right or wrong. Um, I, I'm not. I don't. I'm not up in arms about the fact that he said it. But I will say, if LeBron said this, can you imagine? The outrage that when we got some, there was there was outrage the next day after I felt like the initial reaction was all positivity right, towards right. it. And then I feel like Barstool and some others were willing to talk negatively about it. And then it kind of opened the floodgates for people to put their true feelings out there. And I, I agree with it. And I understand if LeBron said this, this would have been the number one story on sports center would have been the number one story on every podcast people would have been making memes about it all month on twitter for the every team that would have lost it would have been the lebron meme about failure like that's what would have happened but yeah. because it's Giannis, that's not going to happen yeah that's exactly i mean first off it's a great message i think it's it was well said it just does not apply to this situation yeah. whatsoever yep. it's basically my thoughts on it like you can sugarcoat it however you want. You, you taking steps towards success, like he's acting like this is a rebuilding team. Like yeah. the Milwaukee Bucks won a championship two years ago. They are the title favorites in this year. They were minus eleven hundred to win that series, and it wasn't even like a hard fought loss. They they lost to this Heat team in five games, and I've said this a couple times, but you line up the top five players in that series, and four out of five of them are on that Bucks roster, and we're just gonna give Giannis a pass. And I think the fact that he is this two-time MVP, already an NBA Finals champion, if anything, should make him more responsible and he should be more accountable for this. So I think if it's any other superstar in those shoes, not only just with those comments, but just losing the series like that, they're getting trashed and kind of rightfully so. Like when you lose in that fashion to a team that the Bucks are significantly better than, I mean, this team led the NBA and wins this season. They have some off the charts, the offensive rating, defensive rating. They had moments where they were very clearly the best team in the NBA. And to not even make it past a team that lost in the playing tournament in five games is an unbelievable failure. And it should be recognized as that. So while I appreciate the sentiment, it just does not apply here. And I, it's blown my mind, like the, the lack of accountability that Giannis seems to be getting for the entire thing. Do you think that series is any different if they, uh, if Giannis is healthy for the whole series? I, I honestly don't. I think Jimmy Butler was that locked in and like, he gave Drew Holiday 98 points in the past two games combined. There was just a, another level. But once again, if you're Giannis, and I, I don't have that much sympathy for the injury thing. I get it. He's dealing with it. But like, so is everybody to an extent. And if this is, once again, other stars, like this is still being held to him. Like if this was Jason Tatum, Joel Embiid, or John Morant, any of these guys getting bounced in the first round and by a team they're clearly worse than, they're getting flamed right now. So Giannis should be held to the same standard. And like I said, if anything, a higher standard because of what he's already done. So I, I don't think it's a different series. And I think the Bucks overlooked this Heat team for sure, as did a lot of people, and it came back to bite them. So to me, it doesn't change things, and it should be recognized as a failure regardless. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I the the Giannis comments don't bother me, but I, I can recognize the hypocrisy of the media and understand that if this was certain other people, if this was Trey Young, yeah, like if this was, I'm trying to think of other people, Chris Paul, like, and by the way, I like Chris Paul, but I will say going back to that Suns Nuggets series because I kind of I lost this point because um, I think we're done talking about. I don't think we have much more to say about the Giannis thing, but the Suns Nuggets thing. Are we sure Chris Paul's good anymore? I mean, he's not, he doesn't have to be a guy that takes over games. What I still think he is good at is being a guy that controls tempo, controls pace, sets guys up to succeed. 
there were a couple moments, even looking back at last year's playoffs, where he did take over for stretches, where he hit a couple threes, played well defensively, had some impressive just playmaking moments before he's creating for others. He's definitely not quite that guy. He's definitely very much on the downfall of his career, but he's still a guy that you can trust to have his ball, have the ball in his hands in crunch time, making the right decisions. And that's really all he's going to do. He's going to be a steer the ship kind of guy. It does concern me. He's logging top 10 minutes in the NBA, uh, in the playoffs so far. He's a guy that I am concerned about his body breaking down and stuff, but he's still, I believe you can trust him with the ball in his hand and there's enough around him that he'll be able to contribute. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm a little bit worried about how he looked in some of those games there, but. It's going to be interesting to see. Uh, I am seeing this stat as well that DeAndre Ayton did do really well in the 2021 playoffs against Jokic. That was the infamous Suns and in Four mm-hmm. series. Uh, but then I also heard last year, I think on Christmas, he gave up 41, 15, and 15 to Jokic. So that's going to be an X factor. Like, does Jokic feel like he has to be aggressive? Does Jokic go out and try to get 30 plus? Or is he a coward? That's kind of, that's a big thing to watch for. I, I like throwing that out there. But, uh, let's, let's talk about just the games tomorrow. Cause I just looked at the spreads and I'm shocked to be quite honest. What do you, have you looked at the spreads for these games tomorrow? I have not. Let's do it. Let's do an exercise then. Miami at the New York Knicks. What's your, uh, guess for the spread? I'm also going to ask Jeremy too. Okay. Games in New York. I'm going to give- Never mind. I won't ask him. He, he's. He's got donkey brains. <laughs> I will give the I'll give Knicks minus four in that one. I guess four and a half. Okay, I'm su- I'm surprised it's that high. Yeah, I mean, I think nobody knows what to make of this Heat team because, like, I like this team really does not have that much talent. It's Jimmy Butler. They have seven undrafted players. They have Tyler Hero with a broken hand. They, all right, all right, all right. I mean, that's what who they are. Like, they, there's just yeah. not that much talent on it. It's Jimmy Butler. You're Punk. missing a name there. What Bam out of <laughs> You're missing Bam. He was really good in that series. He was. He played well. You got to yeah. take your medicine here, Sean. <laughs> We're talking Bam Adebayo real quick. I, 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 okay. I, it's a good thing you just brought that up because we didn't. We didn't. I tweeted about it and then I totally forgot about it. Mm-hmm. People are not talking about how good Bam was in this series. He's and it's pretty good. He was really good. <laughs> he was eighteen. Well, I, I forget the stats. I tweeted him out last night. Eighteen, eight and five in the series. Eighteen, nine and five in the series. Mm-hmm. But regardless of that. He was unbelievable on defense in, in that series in, against Giannis, against Brooke Lopez. He was so good in that series. I'm not saying he was more important than Jimmy Butler, or even half important as Jimmy Butler, but I think he's the third best center in the NBA. See, I, I, you, you tweeted this last night, so I went through and made my list. I was as the ninth. Best I think that's in crazy because I know one of those names is Sabonis. It is, and we're watching Sabonis right now, and he's been terrible he, in the playoffs, yeah. and he provides nothing defensively. Bam's put up better offensive numbers than him in the playoffs against a better team. And he's a better, he's a better, he's a better, better rebounder. Defender. He's a better rebounder. I would still argue as much as they're putting the ball in Bam's hands and he's been good. Sabonis is a better passer, but yeah. Bam can pass. Like, For sure. It's like, he had a triple-double in that last game. Bam did. I'll you, give him credit. Yeah. You get like 80% of what Sabonis brings in terms of that ball control of the offense with Bam. And then you also get 180% of the defense and like... 70% of the scoring. Like, I don't think that's, I think that I, I always get annoyed about the Bam Sabonis thing because I don't think that's close. I think Bam is a little bit overrated defensively. Oh. First off, he's not a rim protector. Like, he's at not all. a rim protector. We, we talked, we talked about this for sure last week, but he's so rangy and he's so, and the rim protector thing only really doesn't work against Joel. Um, I, I wouldn't say that. Well, here's what I like about a rim protector for guys like Joel, like Anthony David. We're, I, we're, I know, we're yeah, clearly yeah. seeing like, 
a great rim protector erases others' mistakes. Yeah. Bam's never going to do that, and like that just limits the cap of what this Miami defense can be. Uh, not that like to bring it back to Sabonis is is jumping out of the gym in that category yeah. either. He's in the, about the same as far as rim protection. But to me, that's a, a big issue with I, Bam, and I, I think Giannis is kind of an ideal matchup for him because he's not a guy who's ever going to try and finish it creatively around the basket. He's just brunt force, and Bam can take that. I, I think he's just has he's not he's he's passable on the perimeter and pretty good for sure for a center, but I don't think he's like this excellent switchable guy either. He's good. I I think Zavonis is not equal as a rim protector. I think that's unfair. Even Their though I, are similar, I, yeah. But when you, when you talk about when they're out there just as a rim protector instead of you know drifting back into it from switching all the way around, I think I'd much rather have Bam in that in that spot, even just rim protecting the rim. But who are the other centers? And my last point there, Sabonis is significantly better rebounder. He led the NBA yeah. rebounding this year. He Bam is. has only averaged. Bam's not a good rebounder. Yeah, not a good rebounder. He's regressed. His career high was ten point two, which happened in twenty nineteen, mm-hmm. which I was surprised. By. But to dive through the rest of my list, so I've the, the top two are obvious in Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, mm-hmm. Sabonis. I've Anthony Davis ahead of him. Well, if Anthony Davis is center, he counts for sure. I sure. don't think uh, he is. I guess yeah, we can count that. That's fine. Okay, Jaron Jackson. Will you give me as a center? Yes, but I don't. Th- that's tough. That's a wow, really, really tough one. I'll take Jaron. I'll take Jaron. That's fine. Okay. I wasn't. I did honestly. I had him. In a, I didn't consider him when I was talking about centers either. So I'll take that. Okay, and this is where I had the the toughest part through here. What do you think of Carl Anthony Towns? He, nah, at this point, you have to say Bam's better. And I love Cat. Like, I'm a huge Cat guy. The reclamation project might make it look stupid if it mm-hmm. works somewhere, if he gets traded or Minnesota figures it out and he goes back to what we were, what we wanted. But right now, there's no way he's a better basketball player than, than Bam. Yeah, I think that's close. I'm, I, I, I think Carl Anthony Towns is like a legitimate elite shooter at this point, regardless is, yeah. of center, regardless of position. And they've obviously made a mistake with this Rudy Gobert stuff is the best way to utilize him is as a, a big man that can stretch the floor and play five out. The Timberwolves are never going to be able to do that, but whatever. Uh, moving on, I do have DeAndre Ayton, and I was close on this one too. I think Ayton, when he's... I'm his, not an Ayton guy at all. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. This is how I feel about DeAndre Ayton is he can do all the things you need from a center. And what I mean by that is uh, screen and roll, catch lobs, rebound. Uh, block shots a little bit and he also has a little bit of creativity that i don't think bam has as far as creating his own shot he he has moments where he's absolutely not with it in games or not locked in which is you don't get that with bam i'll give you that but i i think as a talent ayton is better phoenix would rather bam a thousand percent for sure but they also there's definitely something wrong with the attitude of ayton which also plays a role in this for i sure. think yeah and the attitude of bam is like what you want i think too. yeah bam's like a dog like, yeah and that's fair but i think as a talent i like ayton better i did knock him uh, I'd also put uh, Brooke Lopez in this, and I wanted to bring up this conversation. I love Lopez, but that's it feels like that's like a this year thing only. But it's been these past couple years, and he's also I think you can throw him on any roster right now. Like this is a he's yeah, and second in defensive player of the year voting. He's another guy who's now become a legitimate elite shooter as a big man. He's perfect for what the Bucks need for him. I, I I like the rim protection thing from a big man. He's very good at that too, and I, he just is like a a more flexible what you need from a, a complimentary piece as a center. I think Bam outplayed him in that series. They just For moments. Played. I think there were, well, and this Mike Budenholzer, who we didn't even really get into, had a disaster of a series. Well, I, did you see the other news yeah, yesterday about, so, is I he going to get fired? I, I think he does get fired. <sighs> it's it's tough. You never want to see the news about family issues and stuff with that. All prayers and respect there. But I, I think he did make some mistakes coaching-wise in the series. And part of that was not putting, not giving Brooke Lopez touches in the post on Bam because in the moments that it happened, 
Brooke Lopez looked terrific, and he was notably had a size a size advantage on Bam and could take advantage. He pretty much camped outside the paint, which I get what he's good at, but I think he left some meat on the bones with how much he could have got out of Brooke. Yeah, I, I I don't disagree. I don't think we can rank the last three. Who were the what? Brooke, Carl Anthony Towns, DeAndre, Brooke, Ayton. Kat, and Ayton. Yeah, I don't. I think I would. I would definitely rank uh, Bam ahead of those guys. The other guys, yeah, it just becomes a positional conversation mm. of if they are a four or a five. But uh, they definitely play more four, more five than four, even if they're listed as four. So one of those stupid things. But uh, I guess uh, we'll 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 find out. Right now, what's the is the finals prediction still? I guess you picked the Celtics, so I guess it's Celtics. Uh, who's your pick from the West right now? I'm I'm I still think I'm, I guess I'm still locking in the Suns, but I'm I'm concerned they're going to run out of gas. I, the West to me is far more open. I I I just wish the Sixers were healthy, man. I would love to be standing up here and saying so uh, Sixers all the way. Eagles just made a trade to to get to the top of the fourth round to get to pick 105. Oh wow, wow, that's that's interesting. We'll see. The draft is start. The Ringo is available. They go the to draft, Georgia. The draft is starting in four minutes here. So I guess on that note, um, let me read out before we go to a break. Let me read out some of the best available players on the board um, for what I have uh, on my big board. And I don't. I, I hope this is all updated here <laughs> because I saw I was going through the teams. And I saw Jordan Battle got drafted at the end of the third, and I was like, oh, I still have him on my list. But number one, I have offensive tackle DeWand Jones. The reason he's still there, it seems to be medical. Um, there seems to be a lot of medical red flags there. Number two, available, I have safety Antonio Johnson from Texas A&M. Don't know why he's still available. Uh, and this Eagles took a safety, so that's not who they would be moving up for. Number three, I have defensive back Keely Ringo. Um, I think it's crazy that he's still on the board. Number four, I have cornerback Clark Phillips. Um, so three of my top four available are DBs. Clark Phillips, I understand why he's falling. He's 5'9". He's really short, but his ball production's unbelievable. Number five, I have offensive tackle Blake Freeland. I'm shocked he hasn't went off the board with his traits. Number six, I have tight end Zach Kuntz, who I think is going to be one of the steals of the draft and I've been talking about for quite a bit. Number seven, Edge Andre Carter from the Army. Um, they actually passed a special law, so Andre Carter could go to the NFL draft instead of so he could bypass the the service requirements of going to West Point. Uh, he's not going to get drafted until the fourth round, so they might have. I don't know. Uh, I, I I don't know. There's nothing really to say about that. But next, I have center Luke Whipler um, out of Ohio State. Next, I have At Perry, uh, wide receiver, coming out of Wake Forest. So I talked about yesterday with John Jansen as one of my favorite gems of the draft. And then lastly, I have linebacker Noah Sewell, uh, re- related to Penay Sewell, offensive tackle who went very high for the D- Detroit Lions a couple years ago. Linebacker Noah Sewell from Oregon. So that rounds out. There are some other interesting names: Mike Morris, Eli Ricks, Rose. Sean Johnson, Kayshawn Booty, uh, Brandon Joseph, uh, Tyler Scott. There are interesting names on the board. So I, I feel like there's, after me saying it was a weak draft all offseason, I feel like there's more names going into day three than I'm used to. Um, but that just might be more about teams having more info about medicals than they've ever had before. Um, so interesting to watch for day three. And on the other side, we're going to talk a lot more about the NFL draft. Good basketball talk for the first hour. But let's get it over to football and baseball for the second hour. Keep it locked with Sean Barnard, Mark Henry, and Jeremy Horwath in studio on the Tough Cover Radio Show.
Switzerland Out in the countryside Lay back and smell the sun Warm up the Georgia pie Be so good to me Taking it Welcome back to the Tough Cover Radio Show as the draft has started, but it's the fourth round. So don't get too worried about it. This is the draft. This is the part for the true sickos, uh, the true weirdos like me who, who want to see uh, the fringe guys and think that this is actually the most important day of the draft. Uh, but it'll be like four picks at a time. It gets crazy. Like they're so behind on the TV. They'll be talking about a pick that happened like 10 minutes ago. Um, it, so it's funny. The Eagles did move up. So Daniel Jeremiah's got like three players in his top 54 still available. So maybe the Eagles making an impact pick here in the fourth round. But let's go through some winners and some losers. And let's start off with losers because there's a lot more winners than losers. So winners will take a little bit more to go through. But let's talk about losers. And I'm just going alphabetically. The Atlanta Falcons did a terrible job in this draft. Drafting Bijan at eight, that is just, man, that is an overdraft and a half. Uh, what did you think about the Bijan pick there for Atlanta? Yeah, for all the this discussion about will the Eagles pull the trigger at 10, is 10 too high for a running back? He doesn't even make it to him. So they don't even have a, a quarterback. I know Desmond Ritter's who they're riding with, but like you can't have belief in that as your long-term guy. And I, I respect getting him a second year, but you're also in a spot to grab a, an impact player like that. I, I get Anthony Richardson was off the board, the other two off it. It makes it difficult, but it seems like a waste to me. I was surprised they went there, and uh, I can't believe Robinson went at 8. I'm really shocked. I, I thought 10 was going to be the absolute earliest he went, and I didn't think the Eagles were going to take him there. I thought it was more likely that they had a chance to trade down to the mid-round and, and still get him, and I, I can't believe he didn't even reach that. And then they took Matthew Bergeron with a really high second-rounder. took Zach Harrison with a high third-rounder. Bergeron didn't make my top 80. Harrison didn't make my top 100. So didn't like any of the value Atlanta got in this draft. The Chicago Bears... I actually don't hate what the Chicago Bears did in the second day of this draft. I like Gervon Dexter. I like Tyreek Stevenson. I understand the vision with Zach Pickens. But you have the first pick of the draft, and you end up with Darnell Wright, a guy who Shane Half, who I do uh, podcasting with, he had him 66th. Uh, Dives, Mr. Crockpot, had him 45th, and I had him 49th. And this is a guy who you took 10th after having the first pick. You had a chance. You made a terrible decision to trade down from the first pick and pick up not enough value to move all the way down to nine. You didn't place a value on getting enough future first. I hated the move that they made down to get to nine, but you had an olive branch there to take one of the best players in the draft, regardless of position, and take Jalen Carter and to make up for that and be like, oh, we got a guy we were looking at at one. And you moved down for a fourth-round pick to take Darnell Wright instead of taking Jalen Carter. And to all the Bears fans who are... Not happy with me on Twitter. Um, <laughs> they, they, they want blood. But they, uh, they keep telling me, oh, well, we have to protect Justin Fields. We have to get an O-line. Our O-line's bad. The Bears were 32nd in sacks, pressures, and hurries last year by a wide margin. There's two sides of the ball. Your defense still matters. I get you have to figure out if Justin Fields is the guy. 
you have to have a defense as well. So uh, I, I really, really hate what the Bears did in the first round of this draft. I think it's a joke. Yeah, I think double dipping down and not picking up enough value on either time is is brutal when you look back on it. The I can't believe how I get it was only one pick in, in the in reality to move from ten to nine, but only a fourth rounder for that is pretty crazy. Steal at, at that stage in the draft for sure. So yeah, I think they dropped the ball and not getting enough value on on both times they move back in the draft. And I do agree with the logic of beefing up the offensive line. It wasn't good last year. And just, but Justin Fields is also a guy who naturally, even at his best, even at his most protected, is going to be a guy who runs around a decent bit and takes off. And you're absolutely right about the defense. There are two sides of the ball, and they're just not good enough. So I, I still think there are ways away from contending. And no, no draft pick would have changed that that drastically, even if it was Jalen Carter. But yeah, the Bears just not quite putting themselves in the the right position to succeed moving forward. And then a team that I love putting down here on this list, I I take no pleasure in putting some of these teams down as losers, but. When it comes to the Dallas Cowboys, I take a lot of pleasure in that, and they're absolutely a, lo- a loser here. We have Motsi Smith, who went 26. He did not make my top 100. Um, he did not make Shane's top 100, and he made dives. I think he was somewhere in the 60s or 70s for dives. So I am not a fan of Motsi Smith. And then they took Luke Schoonmaker, who also did not make my top 100. I think there was like 25 guys in the overall draft who didn't make my top 100. They drafted three of them. Um, so uh, I think that that says a lot right there. Uh, moving on to the next one, Detroit. And this is a tough one because I hated so much, just like every smart draft person out there hated what they did on the first night. Mm-hmm. You had the sixth and 18th pick. You traded down. You didn't pick enough, pick up enough value to trade down. And then you picked a running back in Jameer Gibbs. And then you picked an off ball linebacker in Jack Campbell, just having no idea of positional value at all. But then on day two, they went out and they got Sam Laporta, a tight end. It wasn't the pick I would have made. They should have picked Michael Mayer, but he's a good player. They went out and got the best player available on day two in Brian Branch. They went out and drafted Hendon Hooker, who I'm not a fan, but, you know, probably a good backup. You Third round at that point, you're picking a backup quarterback for golf. I understand that. He's, he's NFL ready. And you got an offensive tackle that people like in Broderick Martin. So... Good good on day two, but I think the stink of day one outweighs whatever good they got done on day two. Yeah, and the Jameer Gibbs pick is the one that's going to stick, like, at 12. And I, I like Gibbs. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. It's one of those things. We did the My Guys podcast, Me, Shane, and Dives, where it's like, let's stamp our name on the guys we're higher than consensus on. That was me with Gibbs. I had him 26th. Right, right. Like, anything in the first round would have been a surprise for him. And to him to hear his name called at 12 was pretty crazy. Like, So uh, that is the big deal. I like Gibbs as well. I think he's a good player and is going to make a positive impact. The Lions also are pretty deep at running back already. DeAndre Swift, there's rumors of him getting moved here. I've seen a ton of speculation of him coming home to Philadelphia. We'll see if that actually shows face. But I do like what they did in, in day two. We talked about this last week. I'm a big Brian Branch guy, so I think he's terrific. I think that's a great addition. I do think they salvage things, but not a good start. And Hendon Hooker, I think I'm also higher on the consensus. It sucks that he has the, the torn ACL and how old that he is, but I do like him as a player, and I think that's a solid guy to develop. And I, he's, he's even might be too old to consider him the pass-the-torch guy. Yeah, but, I'm not a hooker guy. Yeah, but uh, I, I do like him as a player, so I do think the Lions salvaged it in day two, but that first-round pick of Jameer Gibbs at 12 is going <laughs> to just I just realized what I said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am not a Hendon hooker guy, is what I should say. I have to include the first name. I guess it's good I said I'm not. Yeah, uh, yeah that's good. Could have been worse the other way. Um, but, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a fan of Hendon hooker as a draft prospect, I should say. Um, but I like the idea of taking him if you're thinking about, like, a backup more than thinking about, like, a 
pass the torch to him. If it's a third round pick on a backup and you don't have one and Detroit's trying to compete, that I value backup quarterback as high as anybody does. Hooker has some juice to him too. Like he'll he'll come in and make a splash and and I mean, you can do worse as a backup quarterback and yeah, see what he turns into, I guess. Definitely. My issue is like if you're taking him developmentally, he's like 45 years old already. <laughs> so that's that's the problem. But um, I do like what they did on day two. Um, the other losers of, of the draft so far, the New York Jets, uh, Will McDonald, they took in the first round. I'm not a fan. I, I He's... He's just, he's undersized. He's super, he's very much a project. And if you're the Jets, you just traded for Aaron Rodgers. What are you doing taking a project at 15? The mm-hmm. guy's 40 years old. You're giving up your first and second round pick next year. This is the last high pick you're going to make for two years in, in New York. How is it this? Like, I, I just, I'm not a fan of that pick whatsoever. Joe Tipman, I like that pick. Um, then San Fran. I don't really care as much about this. They didn't have a pick until the third round. But when you take a place kicker, with the 99th pick, you cannot use a third round pick on a kicker. Mm-hmm. You just can't do it. What are you? Am I am I overreacting? Yeah, not no, not at all. I'm surprised. I mean, it does look like we just have an Eagles selection that came through, so I'm interested to see what that is. We can see them all on the phone celebrating in the green room. But yeah, taking a kicker in third round, pretty crazy, and to to open things up like that is a surprise. I don't know. If San Fran has that many needs, so I guess they can value that and, and take that as a as a go to. But yeah, definitely a surprise there. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Those 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 finish up my losers. So let's talk about the Eagles. Let's talk about what the Eagles did as their their pick will probably come in while we talk about it. The Eagles are unquestionably one of the winners of the draft. Jalen Carter moving up just one pick to give up just a fourth round pick. Nolan Smith at thirty, which I think that's gonna I'll I'll give my reasons why I'm not as in love with Nolan Smith as a lot of other people, but like the pick at thirty. And then Tyler Steen uh at, at, to start the third round. And Sidney Brown to start the, the also the third round. And that, there it is. Keely Ringo, Adam to the team, Georgia of the North. This is unbelievable. Howie yeah. Roseman, he can't keep getting away with this. Philadelphia Bulldogs. Yeah, roll dogs. This is crazy. And, and he fits. Not only, I mean, he now checks all the boxes. I feel like Georgia is basically one of them at this point. But he's a good player. And I, I'm surprised to see him still on the board at this point. They need a little secondary help. They obviously addressed that earlier on as well. But adding the depth. So I love this pick. I think this is slam dunk. And Howie is absolutely killing it so far. That is unbelievable. I, I cannot believe they just got Keely Ringo with the 105th pick of the draft. Yeah. That is unbelievable. They just got a player that I had ranked. Where did I have... Keely Ringo ranked in this draft. Uh, they they uh, they got a, an arguably a first round talent. This is a guy who might be better off as a safety long term, um, but Keely Ringo is, is an absolute stud. I am actually a little bit bullish on him to play outside corner. I know Shane Half thinks he's strictly a safety. I had him thirty third. Dives had him thirty eighth. Shane Half had Keely Ringo twenty fourth on his draft board, and we just got him one. I compared him to oversized Chauncey Gardner-Johnson because I think he's so versatile in the way that he might be an outside corner and a safety, and you can just play him depending on where you have injuries. Like We had Chauncey Gardner-Johnson playing safety last year. We had a slot corner and Avante Maddox go down. We were able to shift him over to corner. What if we have Keely Ringo playing corner one year, maybe next year? I don't know if he's expected to to contribute right away. And then your safety goes down and you're able to move him over to safety. Like I think it's so valuable to have Keely Ringo. I, I think he's, uh, he's honestly my, probably my third favorite player they've drafted so far. 
Yeah, and I have zero issue with the strategy of uh, who was the best defense in college football? Let's just take all of them, and that's kind of how things are coming together uh, and at a position of need as well. So they're addressing things. I'm blown away by Howie Roseman. It feels like he just has mind games on this draft and is controlling things in a way that no other GM is able to do. So shout out them to keep adding depth. The the Philadelphia Bulldogs are fully coming together. So shout out Keely Ringo for adding to the squad, and I'm hyped out. We just had someone walk into the studio who who found out about the Keely Ringo pick on the Let's TV go! as he walked in. <laughs> John Jansen walking into the studio. He is excited as we are. You can follow him on Twitter at jjansen34. John, how about them Eagles? Oh, you mean the team that wins national championships are going to win Super Bowls now? Yeah, that's fine with me. What a great pick. What an amazing pick that is. It adds depth, as you just said, adds versatility. They have depth and versatility on defensive line. The offense is good. The offense is great. And I'm glad they got an offensive lineman yesterday. But, you know, for all that was made about trying to get skill position players and running backs and all this, getting defense was pivotal for them. The offense is going to be really good. They're going to be tops in the league this year. Make sure your defense continues to be ferocious, continues to get sacks, continues to be great in coverage. It's amazing, I think, draft process from Howie Roseman. And, of course, I think he's done a great job. I don't know how far he's gone into the analytical side of things, but you look at all these guys like Ringo and Carter. I mean, these are guys that, like, very good athletes, score well in the RAS. Like these, these are the type of players that Roseman's looking for. And that's amazing that he stuck to that process. And more often than not, that's going to pay off. Healy Ringo had an RAS score of 8.3. It's not like we're talking about right. a guy who's falling that's in the right. draft. That's for really good in the reasons. fourth round. Yeah. And we're talking about a guy who was the quarterback of the secondary of the team that won the last two national championships. Like, uh, <laughs> This is unbelievable that they just got Keely Ringo. I was praying for Keely Ringo 40 picks ago when they picked at 62 and then 65 and then 66 when they were trading down. I wanted him then. I'm even happier now. Great pick by Indy here, by the way. Blake Freeland. I had him 50th, so really, yeah, really Yeah, I remember you talking about him yesterday. He was my pick. Yeah. By the way, I was talking about that on the stream. I was talking about our conversation there. I was kind of right on what the Eagles did. They took Tyler Steen, right. who they view as, I think, a developmental tackle. I just was wrong on the guy. I said it would be Freeland or Dewan Jones, who both fell to day three. But Tyler Steen, I had Tyler Steen 98th, but I'm starting to think I was too low on him. This is a guy in Tyler Steen. Played four years at Alabama on the offensive line, playing against the best pass rushers in the world. So this is a guy who people are saying, oh, he's got such short arms. He's 6'6". He's going to be a guard, not a tackle. Play tackle for four years at Alabama. Why can't he play and tackle even, in the NFL? Even if, I mean, that's a lot of experience. He could probably play guard. That seems like a guy you plug and play wherever you need him. Obviously, the, the, the hope is you don't need to have him. But still, if a guy gets hurt or there's a spot open, he seems like a guy you can just plug and play right away. Into multiple positions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love that kind of versatility. And that's always worked out for them in the offensive line. Being able to shift guys around a little bit. Uh, I think that works, especially when it comes to your depth pieces, being able to do that. It, it, it came out, too, that the Eagles head scout, I guess, made Sidney Brown his red stamp player. It's, by the way, this is awesome. That the, Apparently, the night before the draft, they have all the scouts and Nick and the coordinators and Howie and the assistant GM all get together, and they all pick one red stamp player, and they try their best to get as many of them as possible. Why are other teams not as smart as we are? Yeah, for it real. is so beautiful being like a fan of a team that you can trust in the front office and a GM you can trust 
chance to be way better than everybody else at his job. The Eagles have such a ridiculous advantage when it comes to the front office and the general manager in terms of the, the contracts that they're able to pull. And now it really feels like after years of struggling with the draft, Howie in these last three to four years has figured out the draft better than anybody else in the sport. Yeah, and a lot of it's just taking value, making the smart decisions, looking at who falls and capitalizes. I think a lot of times teams overthink the draft process by trying to outsmart other teams. So there's kind of a point where you just sit back and see who falls to you, take the best player available. I'm also scrolling through and looking at the the rest of the Georgia roster that is declared for the draft, just trying to figure out where Howie's going next, I guess. <laughs> they have a couple. It's Kenny McIntosh yeah, as a running back. Kenny McIntosh. Chris yeah. Smith is a DB. Funny story about Chris Smith. Um, he made me look stupid in front of Jeremy one time. Chris Smith was a DB that Hard I liked. Do. Yeah. <laughs> He's a DB Trying, that I like a lot. Being stupid in front of stupid. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure Jeremy doesn't remember this. But Chris Smith, we were we had a live show during the scouting combine, and Chris Smith came up to run in the forty. And I looked at Jeremy. We were at commercial. I went, "Oh, Chris Smith, this guy's a beast. He played for Georgia." And then he ran the slowest forty I've ever seen in my life. Like he ran like a five eight, not really. It was like a four seven something or a four eight something. But at safety, that's way too slow. Um, but Chris Smith's out there. Kenny McIntosh is out there. And you know who else the Eagles could draft if they want to keep going with the Georgia thing? Stetson Bennett. <laughs> true, true. I don't think that'll. I don't think they'll be, they'll be taking uh, Mr. Mister Public Easy. Intoxication. Yeah. Stetson the Bennett. Georgia defense was good. Yeah, yeah I know the Georgia yeah. offense, but the Georgia defense is what we want. Can we take Brock Bowers and just say, like, yeah, we'll take him next year. Like, he can play college at Georgia this year, and we'll can have him we? next year. Wait, can we? Like the NBA Please. used to do? Yeah. Yeah, that, that'd be nice. Or Caleb Williams and just trade him next year. Yeah. Um, anyway, let's Where do you think he's going to be drafted? It just... Looking forward, because Brock Bowers, to me, is such an incredible talent. Where do you think he gets drafted? Top 10, right? Top 10? Yeah, I mean, we saw Kincaid. Kyle Pitts type of talent that's wow. good enough, even at tight end, to, to be drafted that high. It'll be interesting to see if Kyle Pitts has a good year this year, and maybe that, I think... Maybe that'll ruin it. Kyle yeah. Pitts helps the... If Kyle Pitts breaks out a little bit this year... That could help his draft stock. But I know that this was a big conversation this year where people were like, oh, people don't want to take tight ends high because you look at the last couple that have went high. I try to not look at that stuff, and I try to look at things as a case-by-case basis and not mm -hmm. make it so historically based because it changes year by year. I feel like more and more tight ends are sneaking into that first-round conversation and topic, and I think part of that is as football changes and tight ends become more valuable as weapons and stuff receivers, like that. Yeah. Uh, they're, yeah, they're basically receivers. They're no longer these. Yeah, that seems like a position that teams just kind of punt on sometimes, mm -hmm. and I don't get it because we've seen with the Eagles how game-changing it could be with Ertz to Goddard. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But, I mean, guys like Rob Gronkowski, Travis Kelsey, they, the Chiefs did the unthinkable of letting go of the wide receiver and keeping the tight end. Everything would indicate that that is a bad idea. That is dumb. And Travis Kelsey has paid off in numerous ways for them. So, yeah, I, I think tight end should be looked at as more premium. And a, a guy like Brock Bowers, he's going to test incredibly well, too. I can't wait to see those test numbers. I can't wait to see where Zach Kuntz goes today. That's my. That's something I'm watching out yeah, for. Yeah, that's going to be a good three. one. Yeah, uh, I love, love, love Zach Kuntz. Yep. Um, so, watching out for that. We're going to talk about some more of I talked about the losers. We'll be more positive on the next side. We'll talk about the winners from the NFL draft on the other side of the break. Stay tuned to the Tough Cover Radio Show right here on The Gambler. Flashdance was a movie, but we remember the music more. Anyone else have Maniac by Michael Sembello on their jogging playlist? Guilty. She's a maniac, maniac on the floor. And she dances like she's never For more great movie soundtrack hits, check out Popcorn Radio on the iHeartRadio app. The Gambler. Philly's home for all things sports gambling. Yeah. You feel it, baby? I can too. 
Sing it, Marky Mark. Sing it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it it is good vibrations in the city of Philadelphia right now. The city of uh, Athens, Georgia, Philadelphia, or whatever you want to say. It is insane. I mean, we we should open a satellite campus here for the University of Georgia. Just barking. Just streamline it. This is how we do it for the dogs. (laughs) I just tweeted that clip out. I don't know if anyone knows what I'm referencing, but there's a great video uh, about Georgia. Uh, this Georgia fan goes nuts. And then at the end, he's like, thank you. He like has like the softest <laughs> voice to the reporter. It's like one of my favorite videos of all time. Um, but that is Howie Roseman right now. And I don't know if anyone saw the video that they tweeted out yesterday of him calling Nolan Smith. But awesome. he called Nolan Smith. He's like, I'm a Florida Gator. This is killing me to be drafting all these Georgia Bulldogs. And Nolan Smith went, you want to do it because you want to win. And he says, I, 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 you're, you're right about that. I like that confetti. Also also awesome that N'Kobe Dean and Jordan Davis were literally there for I know, Nolan Smith. I know, that was being, amazing. Like, it is all coming together, so it's <laughs> that very does, cool. That, that is a cool thing for them. Like, for Obviously, sure. we know the personal touch of like they all are Georgia players, but still, that's just an amazing story that all these guys yeah, your friends came together. Teammates. Yeah, your friends came together and won national championships, and now you get a chance to do it at the next level. How do you got to feel for some of those Alabama guys, though? They got to be like, oh, no. Yeah. teammates with you guys and so. for all the character concerns with Jalen Carter which I think are overblown to begin with like that you can't ask for a better infrastructure that is put in place for this guy to succeed Absolutely. so uh terrific job all around and yeah I, I think it's very cool for all these guys and I think the Eagles are going to benefit on the field yeah I tweeted it a couple weeks ago but someone was like I think it's a good pick by the Colts by the way right yeah yeah he was a guy I was a lot lower on than consensus but mm-hmm. that meant I had him in the 60s uh instead yeah. of the 20s because people had him as a fringe first round guy he went at 110. So that at that point, I really like the value. Yeah, it's definitely a good pick. The Colts have gotten a, a lot of really good value. And speaking of teams that have gotten good value, I've got a list of 12 of them here. So let's run through a couple of them if we 12. have any thoughts. Yeah, a lot nice. more winners than losers. I think it's just because once it gets to day two, I have so many guys I like in the draft that it, it, it's hard for me to call a team a loser if they make a bad first-round pick, but I like their second and third. And there's a lot of those. Right? I dislike their first-round pick, but I love their day two. So it's harder to call a team the loser than a winner. We talked about Philly already, but let's Let's talk about Indy. I love what Indy has done so far in this draft. They just drafted Adi- I always mess this name up. Adida Miwa Adiba Ware from Northwestern defensive lineman. Um, I don't think I got it right. I don't think I got the first name right. Close enough. It is Adiba Ware. I Pretty know good. the last name is Adiba Ware. I messed up that first name pronunciation. I'm the worst pronunciator of all time. But Indy made the right pick at number four. They took Anthony Richardson. It was the only pick that they could make uh, in terms of he was the only quarterback worth taking on the board, and they have to take a quarterback. We've talked so many times over the last couple of years. Since I've been coming on the Gambler Airwaves, I've been t- making fun of the Colts for what they've been trying to do at quarterback, whether that be putting a Band-Aid on it with Carson Wentz and then putting a Band-Aid on it with Matt Ryan. And in the past, it was Jacoby Brissett. And in the past, it was Phillip Rivers. They haven't decided to address the quarterback position since Andrew Luck retired. And here they've done it. They got a really good corner in round two with Julius Brents, who I know Shane Hafferly loves. He's an athletic freak. And they got Josh Downs, one of my favorite players in the draft, who I talked about with John Jansen yesterday on the Daily Ticket talking about how good he was with both Sam Howe and Drake May. I expect him to be able to adjust to what Anthony Richardson wants to do. And then they go and draft the Deba Ware. So that's four prospects. I had them all in my top 60 or so. I think I had three of them in my top 45. So love what Indy's done so far. Yeah, well, to pile on to the making fun of the Colts a little bit here, I know this is a positive segment about them, but we got Jim Ursay tweeting out here about should Will Levis be drafted while he's still on the board after you just take Anthony Richardson at four? I don't know what that is about. Out, but you know, as far as the not things, my owner, yeah, as far as being solid in your quarterback, I don't know if that's the best indication there. Well, did you guys see Jim Mercedes' dye job on his hair too? All of a sudden, he's got he's got brown hair. 
It's like when, not see that. It's like when Colin <laughs> Did Cowherd. Did you go to Vince McMahon's barber? I, I, yeah. McMahon. I was gonna say. I guess I shouldn't say anything about Colin Cowherd since he's a Fox guy. But it's like when Colin Cowherd got hired by Fox Sports One and dyed his hair brown, and he's like, "Wait a second, no one knows that I'm gray." Uh, I was, that's funny, but yeah, I, I think they're definitely, definitely one of the winners. He, how do you feel about Anthony Richardson, John Jansen? I love Anthony Richardson. I think it's worth a shot, and he's fun. I think it's yeah. I, speaking of things that are overblown. I think it's overblown that this guy's not a quarterback. That he's just a good athlete with a, a solid arm. Like he has a great arm and is a good athlete. But I think he has shown some advanced processing skills in college, and that's only with, what, 13 starts? Imagine when he gets more starts, more snaps, you know, a, a team coaching him up even more than Billy Napier could. I, I think he's going to... I think he's going to show early on that he does get it, that he can read defenses, that he can process things quickly. The only thing he has to work on is accuracy, and, and we've seen that. That is a correctable thing. Uh, do you you think- can correct accuracy. Not like to a, a point where he's going to be like a 70% completion guy, but good, good enough, enough. Yeah. that like you can't coach guys, and if they don't get it and how to process things and how to read a defense, how to go through the progressions, if they can't do that, that is extremely hard to teach. That's where a lot of teams get in trouble where they're like, I can fix this guy. I can do this with this quarterback, and it never works out. With Jalen Hurts, he was good at doing that. His problems were all mechanics. It was all throwing the ball. His arm strength was never in question, but he never threw confidently. He would always under underthrow passes, and also he was inaccurate, but he worked on that, and now look what he is. So I think, I think all those things are correctable for Richardson, and once you correct the, the things like accuracy, he's going to turn out to be, I think, maybe the best quarterback in this draft class. Do you think he starts from day one? I feel like they might roll with Gardner Minshew at the I start. I think so, too. Yeah. Shane, me and Shane Half were arguing about this live on the stream when they picked him. I think they'll roll with Minshew. They'll I, start with Minshew. Yeah. Richardson will eventually start this season at some point. Yeah, I think they should just throw him out there day one. I, I used They to, could. They absolutely could. I, yeah. I used to be of the mind that like certain guys, you want to sit them and you want to, you want them to learn. I think you're only learning by playing. I, I don't think you're learning by sitting yeah. on the bench I think anymore. either got it or you don't. It, it doesn't matter if you, re- you let them sit for a whole year, throw them to the fire if they they got it they're going to figure it out if they're not good enough it's not going to change and that doesn't mean they have to be great right away they just have to show shine signs of improvement throughout the year um and i think you're able to do that a little bit better dewan jones goes to cleveland that's a great pick at this point there's some concerns with his medical and there's even more concerns with his uh off the field concerns. There's some stuff where he, he was DMing is gigantic. He was DMing reporters who didn't like him. I I kind of I kind of <laughs> like that. Look, I wish he would have DM me and been like, "Yo, dude, thanks." Like, yeah. I, I had you. I had him in the first round. DM the people that do like you. He yeah, is yeah, yeah. Go huge. Big dog. Keep, yeah. Keep the same good energy. Lord. Yeah, he can dunk too. Like he's a he's a good bat. He was a good basketball player. He averaged like twenty and ten in it's high like school. Glenn Davis at three hundred and eighty pounds. Look at him. Look at him. What? Wow. He's guarding in the perimeter. <laughs> The Sixers need to call Dewan Jones up. Yeah. I think. I think what? They, they might need to give him a call. The, Cle- the Cleveland Cavs. They they needed some. It's big like bodies. Baby Davis out there, yeah. man. Yeah. Come on. I like oh, that. Was that a good one, Bernard? You had yeah. a basketball guy. Yeah. That was a good I, one. I threw that in too. <laughs> yeah, did you? Yeah. Nice. I like that pick a lot right there for Cleveland. Well, it wasn't a lot of picks, but wow, Kevin Stefanski looks so enthused. <laughs> Let's talk about who else? Who else do we have on the board here? Let's talk about Seattle. He always looks enthused. Huh? Kevin Stefanski looks a little bit like a serial killer. I've always said Quinn Snyder is like 1A on my coaches that look like serial killers rankings. I think 1B might be 1B might be Kevin Stefanski. This guy kind of looks like Belichick announcing the Patriots. He does. That's kind of funny. Is this a Belichick? Don Bonder. Never mind. Um, all right. Let's talk about Seattle. Let's talk about what they did. You just did. ask if it was a Belichick. It looks like a Belichick. It looks, that it, looks the like family a family tree. Is yeah, that could coaching. be a brother. Yeah. That could be a Belichick brother, 100%. Um, but 
Let's talk about the Seattle Seahawks. I didn't love Devin Witherspoon at five. I a thought that was kicker. a kicker. What? In the fourth round. Doing? What are we doing taking kickers? Come this is on. What was San Francisco doing? I, I talked about it earlier. Yeah. They were one of my losers. Oh, nice 38 yard kick from, from there. <laughs> um, yeah, Seattle. <laughs> Seattle had the fifth pick. Um, Devin Witherspoon, they took out of Illinois. And then at the 20th pick, they took Jackson Smith and Jigba. And that's why I love the pick. I mean, that's why I love this draft. Getting J- J- JSN, being able to pair him long term with DK, learning from Tyler Lockett, who was one of the comps a lot of people threw out for him. Um, Eric Edholm uh, on around the NFL threw out the Cooper Cup comp. And ever since he did that, I can't get it out of my mind. I can't stop thinking that this guy's going to turn into Cooper Cup. Um, I so. heard a Amon Ross St. Brown comp with yep. him, and I love that. Yeah, yeah. A lot of, he's like exactly similar to the frame, and he's not a burner, but he's quick. And there, so there's a lot of similarities with Amon Ra as well. I think like Amon Ra, Cooper Cup, Tyler Lockett. I think those are the guys he he kind of is very similar to. And then on day two, they went out and got Derek Hall, an edge rusher who I really really love. Compared him to Carl Lawson, solid player. Um, I had him around 41st. He ended up going even. That's another case like. Derek Hall was one of quote unquote my guys because I was way higher than everybody having him 41st and then he went like 37. So it's like, oh, maybe I was right. Um, but then Seattle picked Zach Charbonnet, who I had 27th. I love Zach Charbonnet. He's a running back. But as a fantasy guy, I'm furious that Zach Charbonnet went to Seattle. It hurts Kenneth Walker and it hurts Zach Charbonnet. I really wish Charbonnet would have went to a team that needed a running back. I hate you that he went to Seattle. You expected Seattle to make it easy for a running back? Never. Are you kidding me? Never. Never. Come on, man. It never will. It's we won't so be talking about it until the end of time. What running back in Seattle should you get? Should yeah. you get a Seattle running back? I, also, I think the days of having a running back that can count on week in and week out are That's pretty fair. gone, too. I, like, it feels like everyone's loading up on this by committee tactic, and there's very few just... Bell cow running backs at this point, but the, the and bell cow's a different way because guys, I think of McCaffrey as a bell cow, but he's not in the yeah, traditional yeah, way. Sure, but sure. because he's on the field so much and can run routes, that to me the usage is so high. But you're not going to get a traditional like 25, 30 carry bell cow. Right. Back the com- the committee thing though that's weird about this is a lot of the time with the committee you have one guy you took draft capital or paid and then you have a seventh rounder and that's what the committee is i don't think a lot of the time it's a, it's too high second round picks mm-hmm. and that's what they've done back to back years so that's why it's a little bit different to do it in such short order too like they're gonna have to decide to pay both of them at around the same time um i don't know what's going on here coming in from germany i forgot johnny hecker was on the panthers <laughs> there's some sort of german announcement here for the carolina <laughs> panthers for the draft. They, they did show they're literally in germany is this like Disney? Is that where the No, they're in Germany, it, it said. <laughs> At least they showed that they were in Germany. Yeah, they are in Germany. This is Germany, yeah. No, oh. I know. I thought I thought it might be like Disney in Germany. There were Mickey Mouse balloons behind them. Um all right. That's an irrelevant <laughs> totally <laughs> irrelevant thing that I just noticed. Our producer here cannot stop laughing at it and it was distracting me. <laughs> um that's what that's what Jeremy does. He distracts yeah, yeah, us. Something with traditional um, German garb that you have problems with? What, but what's, Seat- what's going on here? Seattle ended up with four really good football players. Whether or not I think they should have picked a running back or not, or whether it's a good investment, four really, really, really good football players for Seattle. By the way, I came into this weekend kind of being like, if Detroit makes good moves, they could be the second-best roster in the NFC. Ha! If Seattle, I mean, they could be the second-best roster in the NFC. Seattle could compete. If Geno's for real, Seattle, Is he? It, I don't know. <laughs> oh, I don't know if Sean Barnard knows this, but you're in the studio with the world's biggest Geno Smith believer and Seattle Seahawks fan, who, who and it's my be? producer, Jeremy. Really? Jeremy. Jeremy fell in love with Geno Smith and the Seahawks last year during the NFL season. Bet on them every single week. Because you didn't call back? You were all about it? <laughs> <laughs> he, 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 they wrote him off, but he yeah, didn't write he back. Didn't write back, back. Yeah. 
Jeremy, but, Jeremy. Thanks for your insight, Jeremy. Yeah, thanks for really, the insight. Really I was pitching to Jeremy. I was trying to get some Seahawks love out of you. Mm. Seahawks are great. I, like, <laughs> I, I, posted, I posted on Twitter every single week that exact clip of Geno Smith saying they wrote me off, but I didn't write back. Uh, I bet on the Seahawks every week. Until about week twelve, when they started to fall down a little bit, but you bet yeah. on them in the in the playoffs. I, bet on them I did bet on them in the playoffs too. Mm-hmm. I I love the Seahawks. I just think I think Geno Smith's story was awesome, and him actually playing well and earning a big contract is like was really fun to see. So they just I showed Geno Smith. They just showed Ryan Poles on the screen. My take on Ryan Poles as a GM is he looks too much like a current football player. Like he's too young and O lineman looking to be a good GM. Um, and I think that, that explains why he's done a terrible job so far. Um, so let's move on to another winner on the board. Um, the Buffalo Bills. I'll be quick with this one. We talked about a little bit Kincaid. They drafted at the back end of the first round strictly as a receiver. They also got a great value with Osiris, Osiris Torrance. He's an offensive lineman. I had ranked 16th overall. They got him in the second round. And I, I really, really like that value. They got a stud in linebacker Dorian Williams as well. Baltimore took Zay Flowers. I'm just happy to see Baltimore give Lamar an NFL receiver. Yeah. Finally, they signed Odell. They overpaid for it, but whatever. Get him a receiver, and then they draft Zay Flowers, who I can. I actually called this pick in my player comps article on Philly Influencer. I compared Zay Flowers to Hollywood Brown, and I said it would make a lot of sense for Baltimore to pick Zay Flowers to fill the spot that they voided last year when they traded Hollywood Brown, and they never filled it. So I think they kind of have that because a lot of people compared Zay Flowers to Antonio Brown. I think we're too far removed from how like he was awesome. Antonio, Antonio Brown Brown's was prime. awesome for a stretch of time. Yeah. Some of the best that we're ever going to see. Yeah, yeah the, he the yeah. footwork, the in and out of routes. Yeah, insane. The best version of Antonio Brown that we saw is one of the three to five best wide receivers we've ever seen in the NFL. So I think people comparing Zay Flowers to him was a bit a bit overshooting it, but. I'll compare him to Hollywood Brown. I'll stay in the yeah. family tree. I think there's a lot of similarities there with those two guys. Minnesota, I really liked what they did with Jordan Addison. Really good receiver to add on the other side of Jefferson. I know John Jansen's a big Jordan Addison guy. Um, he just gets open. That's what Jordan Addison does. It's actually interesting, too. Addison was better two years ago with Kenny Pickett than he was last year with Caleb Williams. Um, so he's another guy. He has shown that he can be the focal point of an offense with multiple different quarterbacks. So he's obviously going to have to, to find some... Uh, chemistry with Kirk Cousins. Um, you get to the New York Giants, and I hate to do this. Mm. I hate to give the New York Giants yeah, credit. I, I hate that they're competent now. It's yeah. so annoying that the Giants are competent instead of making terrible draft picks and decisions all year long. But Deontay Banks, athletic corner. I get the vision. Uh, you take. They needed a corner. They got a corner. Jalen Hyatt's the pick that he's really upsets me. Yeah, I love Jalen Hyatt. I think he's too fast uh, to press. I know a lot of people don't think he's going to hold up to the NFL uh, because he he hasn't dealt with a press. He hasn't dealt with a press because no one wants to deal with him because he's too fast. And if you press Jalen Hyatt, that means you have to have a safety over top watching it. And if that's the case, you've won the matchup. Like if two guys are covering Jalen Hyatt, that's the goal. Mm-hmm. You get someone else open. Like that's the whole thing. That's why I wanted the Eagles to have him so bad because if you had his speed. With AJ Brown and Devontae Smith out there and Dallas Goddard and Jalen Hurts' ability to get us out of the pocket, it just creates such number nightmares for defenses. So love that pick for the Giants. Although I will say they have like six good receivers, but none none that are confirmed great yet. So it'll be interesting to see how they even like play their guys. Like I don't know if Hyde's gonna play right away. So that'll be interesting to watch. Jeremy mentioned the Cincinnati Bengals to me off air. He said he liked their draft. I think that's just because he's been poison pilled by me talking about Miles Murphy. It might be. It might be because like the amount that you've talked about Miles Murphy throughout these past, you know, month or two, however long it's been. And I bring it up to even just like buddies or anyone else I'm talking, they're like, I don't know. I don't even put Miles Murphy in the top 15. And, uh, but I don't know. Everything that I've been hearing you say about, it, I'm like, well, you got to tune in the tough cover because 
Miles Murphy is going to be really, really good. And, uh, I was trusting you with it for sure. <laughs> yeah, I just think he checks every box that I would want in an edge rusher. And I think Cincinnati didn't need an edge rusher. They've spent a lot of draft capital over the last like four or five years on edge rusher. A lot of first-round picks, a lot of second-round picks. I know Joseph Asai, who's the guy who made the bonehead play out of bounds last year and hit Mahomes and kind of cost them a little bit. Yeah. But he was really good. Like he had a really good uh, season before that. Um, they they had a couple guys that they have. I don't know if they have the guy outside of Trey Hendrickson, but I think that they looked at the board. They saw Miles Murphy still available, and they were just like, "How how are we not going to take obviously the best guy available?" He fills out every need that I would want. Nine seven one RAS score. Um, very productive for three years. Absolutely, he never was questionable. Like he played every game for three years. He's the highest motor player in the entire draft, in my opinion. Like he just does not quit on plays. He goes sideline to sideline. Like really good run stuffer, really good pass rusher, and he's also the perfect blend. And the reason I loved him for the Eagles, he's the perfect blend of a win now player. Like you can play him right away, but he also has the traits to be a high upside player in the future. So that's like what I, I kind of think that he fills both boxes there. So I really love that pick for Murphy. I think they made another pick I really, really yeah, like. It was Jordan Battle at the end of the third round. Yes. yes. That was the pick that, that, that's what made me like, okay, they had a good first round. But once I saw Jordan Battle got picked by the Bengals, that's where I was like, okay, like they are now, like they are a certified winner now. He's a day one starter. He Jordan is. Battle. Safety. I, 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 love, I can't believe he fell that far. I love Nick Saban DBs. They're just ready to play right away. And, you know, you know that you're getting a guy who knows how to play the position. So Jordan Battle, the guy like DJ Turner, I didn't love DJ Turner, but athletic freak. I think he's the fastest player in the draft at 4-2-something um, from Michigan. So I understand the vision there with Cincy taking him. They need DBs. So Turner and Paddle, you go out and get them. Like I love what Cincy did in this draft. I like what a lot of the contenders did. Cincy, Buffalo, um, Baltimore, if we want to consider them. Um, this is just a brief one I'll mention. Miami. They took Cam Smith in the second round. They needed a corner and Cam Smith fell. I didn't even like Cam Smith that much, but he fell really far. Like that Cam Smith has got I didn't like him that much. I had him thirty eight. He ended up going in the forties. So I think that's a pretty good value once it came down to that. And then they got Devon A. Chain, who's the fastest running back I've ever seen. And they have Tyreek Hill and they have Jalen Waddle. This team's the fastest team of all time. Uh, I hate to inter interject on draft talk real quick, but we do have a Joel Embiid update oh, that no. Doc Rivers says he's looking doubtful for game one. So oh. not the news that we wanted to hear. That's via uh, Austin Krell, Kai Carlin, Kyle Newbeck. All of them are on it right now. So uh, Embiid met with doctors today, looked at him, and Doc said if he was a betting man, he would say doubtful for game one. Not what we want to hear at all. Not that, what we want to hear. That is heartbreaking. Yeah. So, yeah, not looking good uh, on that one. <sighs> Sixers also, uh, let me get this stat exactly right because I had two that had, that had to do with years. But um, the Sixers have lost their last 11 opening games in the second round. They have not won the first game of an Eastern Conference semifinal since 1986. Yikes. Sean, you are really bringing down the energy wow. right now. I know. We're I hate to do it. Good. We were feeling good. <laughs> I hate to do it. Let me just finish the last two winners out in a monotone voice. <laughs> uh, End well, the show after that. The Las Vegas Raiders. <laughs> they drafted Tyree Wilson. <laughs> Michael Mayer. No, I love what the Raiders did. Michael Mayer, stud pick in the second round to replace Darren Waller. And then you have uh, Tyree Wilson, who I think you got the best player available when you picked at seven. I actually liked Wilson more than Jalen Carter. So um, I know that that's a little controversial, but he did go above him. He did get drafted seventh, and I love the pick for the Raiders uh, to put him on the other side of Max Crosby. And the last team that I have to mention is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Broderick Jones, great pick in the first round. They got the last tackle of the elite class. Um, and they needed to tackle really bad. And then at 32, Joey Porter Jr. sitting there. I thought that they were going to have to decide between Broderick Jones and Joey Porter Jr. 
They got both of them. So I love when a team's able to do that. They got Keanu Benton, a guy later on on day two, a guy who I know a lot of people are really, really high on, think they has really high upside and athleticism. I'm in the middle. I, I like him. I like the idea of it. And then they got Darnell Washington at the end of the third round, who was supposed to go in the back end of the first or the top of the second. There's medical concerns there, apparently, but who cares? Go out and take a chance and see if he if he can be your sixth offensive lineman like he was at Georgia. So loved what he did there. But Jeremy, you got any baseball picks over there for me? I'm sorry to, to throw you on the spot. What do you have? Over right. there? I, have baseball th- pick I have three picks. Uh, first one is Angels Moneyline going up against the Brewers. This game, Corbin Burns is on the mound, and he's going up against Reed Detmers. Corbin Burns has not been Corbin Burns so far this year. He's sitting at over a four ERA. Uh, FIP is even higher, a little bit higher of a whip. He's not doing too great right now. And uh, Reed Detmers is actually putting up the very similar numbers to Corbin Burns. So I'm going to say this is more of who's going to hit better. Last night, Brewers won 2-1. to one. I think it's going to swap the other way. I think Angels are going to be able to grab the win. And the reason I like it is because of the... Uh, the odds I got it. I got a plus one twenty five uh, for a game that I think should really be a pick 'em. I, th- I think it should be a lot closer in odds. I get it. Corbin Burns is the big name guy, and he probably should win this game. But going into the second game of the series, Andrews already down one. I think I think Detmers and the Angels can actually uh, get a win over this one. So that's gonna be the first bet. Next one, Homer pick, only because of the hype that happened last night. I'm taking Phillies money line at plus one oh five. Aaron Nola. Fantastic outing last night. Shoved. Insane. Eight innings, uh, three hits allowed, six strikeouts, only one run. Uh, fantastic game out of Aaron Nola. And that one run was in the first inning. Uh, so I'm going to take Phillies. Zach Wheeler's on the mound. I think he's going to yeah, put up. Yeah, take that, Sean Brace. Yeah. Your Aaron Nola hate. <laughs> I'm joking. Zach Wheeler's going to come back. <laughs> he's going to be fine today. Uh, so I'm going to take the Phillies at plus 105. And last pick I have is the Orioles team total over four and a half. They've hit that in six of their last seven games. Uh, and the Tigers, who actually have been surprisingly well pitching recently, uh, Tigers are not a good team. Matthew Boyd is on the mound. He's only gone four to five innings every game and has allowed three runs or more in every game he has started so far. Uh, and the Tigers bullpen is one of the worst in the league. So I think that them getting over four and a half with how well the Orioles have been hitting all season, I think that's an easy, easy one. And now it's at plus 100 odds and it was. Worse than that before. So those are my three picks in the day. Angels money line, Phillies money line, and Baltimore Orioles team total over four and a half. I hate that Phillies bet. Yeah, I don't I like Christian Javier against Javier. Yeah, yeah. I'm hyped from last night because then because of Aaron Nola. That is the that's reason right. why. That's why it's not a. Money. That's why it's not a best bet. <laughs> yeah, we we didn't it's get to happen. talk enough about the Phillies today. I maybe we might see if we have a couple minutes here at the end. But let me get my picks out and let me see uh, what we got here in terms of baseball. My favorite pick of the day, or actually my second favorite pick of the day, is the Cleveland Guardians plus 118 at the Boston Red Sox. I don't understand why Boston's so heavily favored with Bello on the mound. Bello stinks. He's got a 9.82 ERA. Red Sox stink. I think these teams are actually, I think they're like average. Like, I think the Red Sox are going to be 500 ish. Like, and, but I think the Guardians will end up being better than 500. So I think the Guardians are the better team. I think they have the better bullpen. Like, don't think they should be plus 118 here. So I like the Guardians. Um, my next. My favorite bet of the day on the diamonds actually went up a half of a run, but I still like it. Give me over eight runs, and I would take it at eight and a half in Yankees Rangers. Johnny Brito on the mound with the six one ERA. Nathan Yavaldi has really struggled to start this year, and if you look at the BVP, the Yankees do really well against Yavaldi. I know Judge is out of the lineup, but they still have some guys with a lot of success against Yavaldi, and we'll get to one in my player props. But um, my. I think I have one or two more picks here on. No, it's actually, I only have two baseball bets on the board today, but 
I've got four player props on uh, the baseball you've been board on fire today. With those recently. We've got Matt Chapman to RBI plus 105. He's got 19 RBIs in 25 games, so I, I like the implied probability there. How many picks is Eric Stone Street going to announce for the Chiefs? Like, we get it. You're on Modern Family. Um, the next one, Great show. Vladdy Guerrero. I'm out. Vladdy Guerrero Jr., plus 115 to RBI. Um, I, I like Vladdy to, to RBI there. It feels like he's more likely to RBI in any game he plays than not. So, plus 115. I always like it when it's plus money. My two favorite player props today, though, both at minus 110. Anthony Rizzo over one and a half hits, runs, and RBIs. He's done this in like six of his last eight games and has great numbers against Yavaldi. And then Will Smith, not... Not the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. No slapping. <laughs> He'll be slapping the ball around the field. <laughs> Catcher Will Smith for the L.A. Dodgers has really good numbers against Jordan Montgomery um, and has been on fire as of late. Really streaky hitter, so you want to kind of get in on Will Smith when you can from a, from a bets perspective. So I like both Will Smith and Anthony Rizzo over one and a half hits runs and RBIs and folks we talked about my base my basketball bets I have Suns plus three and a half and I added uh, over 226 and a half I like what Sean Barnard was saying on that over and I, I like it a lot there so I, I that's that's it for my picks but Stanley Cup playoffs are on as we speak right now and you know as we sometimes do on the Tough Cover Radio show we often have a guest uh, that comes into the studio and he's been texting me nonstop so uh, let's see let's see if he's waiting in the dunk uh, a lot of a lot of nonsense going out there in the, in the in the lobby let's see if you know is Marky Pucks mixed up in that nonsense out there let's see if he's here Hey what's up you hosers I uh, we is anyone here? Uh, Hosers? Got some hockey on tonight? Marky yeah. Pucks. Marky Pucks. Uh, you see how hot Marky Pucks has been on the ice lately, eh? <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm sorry to I'm sorry to brag. Sorry, sound Irish, man. I, 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 <laughs> I've been in Ireland sometimes. I, I spend time in Chicago. Sometimes I sound like the Chicago super fans, and sometimes I, I sound like I'm from Montreal, eh? So I'm sorry about it, but that's just my, that's all I'm going to have to say about it at this time. So I'm sorry that I'm bragging about my NHL bets as of late, but I have been red hot and I will say I may be from Canada, but I don't believe in the Toronto Maple Leafs, eh? So I like maximum pain for the city of Toronto's fans. So I'm going to bet on the Tampa Bay Lightning plus 100 tonight, one unit. Uh, they, uh, they, uh, Maple Leafs are going to blow a 3-1 lead. Let, let's be honest about it. Maple Leafs are going to blow a 3-1 lead, eh? I'm sorry that I slipped out of my accent there for a second, but <laughs> I also like the over at six and a half goals in that game as well. I think three of the last four have went over. Last pick of the day, the New York Rangers, minus 125 against the Devils. That series is going seven. I'm out of here, Hoser. See ya. Sorry. <laughs> Marky Pucks, uh, yeah. there he is. He's been red hot as of late. Uh, you know, hopefully you can keep it I'm up. Sorry to all of our Canadian listeners if there are <laughs> any out there. Uh, you know, I, I think if anything, we're we're uh, they're they're a big fan of Marky Pucks. There are, are they? Are there's they fans fan? out there. There's rabid Marky Pucks fans out there that wow. uh, that you know how seems can, like a terrible guy to be honest with you. <laughs> I, he's a nice guy. He says sorry yeah. a lot. Like he, he apologizes. Yeah, but that's Canadian. He are probably, they really yeah. sorry? You know? I, I I think so. I think he's a nice guy. You know, he he tries his hardest out there. He just likes some some hockey fights every once in a while. Sometimes mm, he'll get aggressive. Sometimes he'll get out in a Not very yeah. Canadian. Yeah, <laughs> it's only you're only allowed to fight if you're if you're on the hockey rink in yeah, Canada. Right. So that's actually that's how, how they, they all get around play hockey. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. They, good they point. they're very docile and nice outside of the rink, but then once they get on, they can just let it all out. But real quick, let's talk a little about the Phillies because I, I teased it there to close down the show. So one last thing, I don't have a donkey brains this week, by the way. I you know Jeremy, you, you haven't had a donkey brains for the past couple weeks now. 
Yeah. You've been, you've been lackluster on the donkey brains. Recently, oh, wait. Uh, is it mean to give Mike Budenholzer donkey brains of the week? Um, I mean, yes They're going to no. fire him, so you know yeah. what? Jeremy, I'm sorry to do this to, to Coach Bud. He's obviously got some personal things going on, but you don't take a timeout at the end of the game. Uh, and then admits it right after in the press conference. Said, "Yeah, I should have called a timeout there. Like you, you could have." He did a terrible job the whole series in that series in terms of coaching. Got the pants coached off him by Eric Spolster. So, Coach Bud, how do we know you're not a donkey brain man? You got donkey brains. So, real quick on the Phillies, the reason that I'm back in on the Phillies, Jeremy, don't make fun of me. Finally. Because last week... You weren't in? When worried. were you out? When the did last, you get out? The last two Saturdays I've been worried. Because I'm worried about the lineup. I have some concerns... The what? The, I have some concerns about the lineup. I have some concerns about the bottom of the lineup. Uh, we can, don't have enough time left on this show for me to hear you out. So keep going. I have some concerns about the bottom of the lineup. But the reason that I have... I, I was never freaking out too much. But the reason that I had concerns was because the base running, the lineup, some of the decisions Rob Thompson was making. But the reason that I'm in... It's because we have the best bullpen in baseball. Jose Alvarado is the best pitcher that's ever pitched in a bullpen for the Phillies in my lifetime. I, I fully believe that how filthy he's been. There's no one who's been as hot or as good for a year-long stretch besides Brad Lidge. But you want to go look at Brad Lidge's numbers that year? Jen Mark Gomez. No, that's that's get out of here. Go look at Brad. <laughs> well, the Lidge's, thing is, everybody talks about Lidge. Ryan Madsen was also ridiculous. But go look at their year. numbers and Jonathan compare him to Alvarado over the last year. Maybe he doesn't have the saves because he's not being used as a closer. Alvarado has been the best relief pitcher in baseball besides Edwin Diaz since he's came back up from Lehigh Valley whenever that was in May or June last season. He's been unbelievable with the fact that you have Sir Anthony. You have Kimbrell, who's been filthy, by the way. A lot of negativity on Kimbrell early on in the year. He's been unbelievable. Matt Strom's going to be back in the bullpen. Bellotti will be back soon. Brogdon stepped up in a big way. This bullpen has been absolutely... But I didn't even mention Gregory Soto, who's been filthy as well. Like, this bullpen's so good. Nola shoved last night. Take that, Sean Brace. Zach Wheeler, <laughs> going to shove today. Ranger Suarez, going to be back soon into the rotation. Bailey Falter, I feel vindicated for all offseason being like, Bailey Falter, why are we not acting like we're excited about Bailey Falter? He's going to be really good. We'd be excited about him if Andrew Painter didn't exist. Taiwan Walker, a little disappointing. Hopefully he gets back on track. And then Matt Strom, you can use him as a weapon in the postseason if he's not a starter. As a three or four inning guy who can save your bullpen some innings. The reason I'm bought in, Tiago Scabia from the, the Painted Lines, he thinks that the Phillies need a big arm. He thinks they need an ace at the deadline. They need a bat. They need to go get a bat, add it to the bottom of the lineup, fill in a bat preferably that sees some pitches to fill in the hole for Reese Hoskins. So that's what my hope is. I'm buying in on the Phillies because of the pitching, because of the arms, but I do want them to go and get a bat at the deadline, maybe give up a Griff McGarry. So that's going to do it for the Tough Cover Radio Show right here on iHeartRadio I on Fox Sports, The Gambler. What are we going over to at one, John Jansen? Green Legion Radio! Green Quimby. Legion Radio with Quimby talking... I mean, what are they going to be talking? Tennis? I mean, golf? No, nah, I'm joking. They're talking about the NFL draft. They're talking about the Philadelphia Bulldogs. They're talking about the Eagles. They're talking about Georgia. Stay tuned right here to Fox Sports The Gambler for Green Legion Radio. But for now, tough cover country. Let's ride.